Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. To this Wednesday, May 9th, 2018 edition of the Hagman Report. We have a fantastic show lined up for you today. There is a whole bunch going on uh, in the Middle East. We're going to get to that. A lot going on in the political realm here in America, in Washington, D.C. We're going to get into some of that. And we're going to be joined by Liz Crokin at 7.30. She's going to come on to talk about the latest from the Me Too movement and the New York Attorney General that was uh, one of the loudest uh, proponents of the Me Too movement and his resignation after the allegations of him uh, beating up multiple women. And she's going to cover uh, more than that. Also, the, the 2018 Met Gala, where the they had a Catholic theme, and there are many headlines and pictures out there showcasing uh, the anger of the Christian community against the Hollywood elite mocking their faith. And then from there, we're going to be going to talk to Mike Gendron. and he's going to tell us the differences or the similarities, excuse me, the similarities between Catholicism and Islam and the potential to see a merger at some point in the future. And just to give you a, a little preview of something that we found today, a headline from today that makes the argument for Mike Gendron's topic, Catholic University opens sex-segregated prayer space for Muslim students. This is in Davenport, Iowa. We're going to talk about the uh, similarities, again, between Catholicism and Islam and what this looks like for the Catholic Church and Christianity as a whole moving forward. And then Pastor David Langford joins us as he does each Wednesday in the third hour. But tonight we are going to start with what's happening in Syria as there are reports of a number of things happening. And I want to thank Maria Kanis for sending us updates. We have seen that air raid sirens over the Golan Heights have been going off, and the uh, Israeli Defense Force is saying that Iranian forces have fired rockets, 20 rockets, into the Golan Heights area that the Iron Dome had intercepted. Uh, some, no reports of injuries have yet been reported, but what we have from Maria Kinesis, Israeli tanks open fire on Arab army directly. Syrians returning fire active combat in progress. Sirens surrounding throughout northern Israel and Israeli jets have begun bombing Syrian Arab army positions in southern Syria. Direct attack upon Assad's government. Nothing to do with terrorism. And from there we see other uh, things that are going on. Multiple explosions confirmed at Israeli Defense Force positions in Golan Heights. Israeli Defense Force now commencing shelling of Syrian town of Hadar, and on and on and on. Uh, the latest update was uh, that I have here, 621 Syrian Army now retargeting IDF Israeli positions in Golan Heights with heavy multiple launch rocket systems. Now, the latest on Drudge, uh, Iranian forces fire 20 rockets at Israel, Iron Dome intercepts some. All this on the heels of the... Uh, president pulling out of the Iranian nuclear deal, which I don't think 
has anything to do with this. This is in retaliation to another strike by Israel in Syria yesterday, targeting, targeting Iranian forces. We saw one after the gas attack or the alleged gas attack, and now we've seen another one just moments or hours after the president announced he's pulling out of the Iran deal. And we saw the Israeli people and the area of the Golan Heights really prepare and anticipate these strikes yesterday. So it is no surprise that this is happening. The question is how much, how far will this go in this latest, latest barrage of missiles? And how, I mean, if this is Iran via Syria firing on Israel, is this going to intensify the conflict between the two nations that we've been seeing, uh, over the last few weeks, you know, reach a fever pitch? John Robertson is hosting with me tonight, and we're going to bring him on right now and get his opinion on what's happening in the Middle East. My father's here. He's uh, doing some other business in the office. So John's with me tonight, and John, it's great to have you here. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. And, uh, of course, as always, uh, special thanks to Doug Hagman uh, for the opportunity and the blessing to uh, sit in this evening. Uh, Doug is working on uh, some articles that are not just sit-down, dash-them-off type material. Uh, these uh, two pieces in particular require extensive uh, research and sourcing, vetting, checking, double-checking, etc. So uh, I get the privilege of uh, sitting in and joining all of you this evening. Joe, I couldn't help but think when this news broke, and again, special thanks to uh, our dear friend Maria Kniss for uh, sending us over some source material, uh, that uh, Alex Jones yesterday said, quote, the world uh, sits on a war footing. And uh, in the comment section beneath that video, people were really taking Alex to task for using that verbiage, Joe. What and do you mean? The, you said the U.S. He said the U.S. sits on a war footing? Or the world. Uh, the entire world. Yeah, okay. the entire world. And, uh, and people were just making sort of, uh, sarcastic, ribald comments. Uh, so this is what the world on the brink of war looks like, huh, Jones? And, uh, um, no, it is. It, it, indeed it is. Now this goes back, of course, to early last week when, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, laid out the case for, uh, these strikes against Iran. What I did not understand at that time, uh, was that we were in fact witnessing something emanate from Tel Aviv that Joe was akin to the infamous uh, visits from uh, then-President George W. Bush and then-Secretary of State Colin Powell to the United Nations in early 2003, uh, genuinely laying out the case for war. And now we're in a situation, and Joe, I'm going to hand it back to you to clean this up a little bit, but it seems that we're in a very confusing situation because we've got the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, on one side of this this combat exchange. But what what's so easy to get confused with is that Iran has so many different proxy fighter capabilities. They have Hezbollah. They have the different the different ISIS factions, and the list goes on and on. So, Joe, at this time, do we know exactly who is firing the missiles back from the Golan Heights back into Israel proper? Well, this is a, that's a good question, and this is what the report from the Times of Israel says. Some 20 ro- rockets were fired at Israeli military bases by Iranian forces in southern Syria after midnight on Thursday. Some incoming missiles had been intercepted by the Iron Dome defense system. The Army had said this is along the northern border. There were no reports of casualties. Now, what they uh, do highlight here in this article is that Tehran vowed, vowed revenge after the Army base in Syria was struck in an air raid uh, 
widely attributed to Israel one month ago on April 9th, which killed seven uh, Iranian military members. Now, the Syrian state media has reported that Israeli artillery artillery fired targeted a military post near the city uh, where Syrian forces were stationed. Now, what they don't know is if these if this latest rocket barrage was fired by multiple rocket launch systems or MLRS or what equipment was used to fire these, but they do believe it was Iran that was behind the strikes and Israel vowed fierce retaliation for any uh, strikes that, that they did receive. So we are probably going to see some uh, pushback here by Israel. And I just want to say this. It is a confusing situation in Syria. You have all these nations fighting via proxy there. And you see, one of the things that I uh, find interesting about what Joan said, you see these alliances being formed. And this is what a war looks like, pre-war, pre-conflict. When you see Saudi Arabia and Israel getting so close, I mean, that's cause for alarm. Why are these two people or two nations who are enemies and have been enemies for a long time, fierce enemies, joining forces. Well, it's out of a mutual hatred and survival mechanism from Iran, Russia, and and China. And who are the biggest enemies of America? At least uh, by the mainstream media and government standards, that is Russia, Iran, and then China. Uh, So we see that there are uh, a lot of things lining up. North Korea also, a big important part of the picture, that we saw him kind of fall back, Kim Jong-un, into a position of, oh, I don't want any trouble. Yes, I'm going to denuclearize. I am going to make peace with the South. I'm going to stay out of this. So does Kim Jong-un, does the alliance between Saudi Arabia and Israel point to the moves that we see before a World War-type conflict? That's a it's a good, legitimate question, and I would say yes, absolutely. Well, it, it certainly harkens back to the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, yeah. Three three things quickly. First of all, uh, this from the Jerusalem Post, and it says uh, this was uh, headline: shots fired toward Israeli communities in the Golan. Uh, Joe, you've already covered some of the details here from the uh, from the Times. Yeah, it no says, deaths is, is being reported. Yeah, so. No no deaths at this time. It says, quote: around twelve ten in the morning, there were some twenty projectiles fired toward communities in the Golan Heights, and it says right here, fired by Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps elite force, the IDF stated. So again, that from the Israeli Defense Force, uh, JerusalemPost.com. Point number two, the the alliance between Israel and Saudi Arabia, I can only make sense of this uh, in, in one way. We know that as recently as the Persian Gulf War, Operation Desert Shield, Operation Desert Storm, that uh, because we had such enormous military assets on the Saudi Arabian terra firma that the idea back in 1991 was that even if uh, Scud missiles launched from Iraqi missile batteries hit uh, Israel, uh, we had requested and the IDF had apparently accepted the notion that our Patriot missile batteries would take care of it, that Israel needed to stand down at that time. And the specific reason why, because we could immediately lose the Saudi Arabian component uh, that that was such an enormous part of Desert Storm, not just with their forward capabilities, but with our our bases and uh, and uh, infrastructure as well. So this has got to tie into Joe the whole petrodollar scheme. We talk about it all the time. We don't have to unpack it tonight. But this has got to be a situation where 
Israel as the number one U.S. proxy state in the Middle East uh, understands the preeminence of the petrodollar. Israel understands that if they want to maintain the uh, relationship, the almost symbiotic diplomatic and military relationship in the region, that they need to, in fact, support the petrodollar as well. Thus, the Saudi Arabian component comes in, and I'll make this my final comment. Uh, 1973-1974, Secretary of State Kissinger uh, structuring that deal, which effectively says uh, Saudi Arabia, and then about a year and a half later, all OPEC nations uh, sell your oil in U.S. dollars, thus making U.S. dollars the primary tool that's utilized globally, right. meaning so we, we can export Libya. our inflation. Exactly, Joe. I'll hand it back to you. And... Uh, that's a, a great point, and it is so important to understand the petrodollar's influence in the American foreign policy and uh, what we do militarily, because it is one of the number one reasons that we seem to overthrow governments and invade countries. But back to what's happening in the Middle East, Syria is not the only places where rockets are flying. Apparently, Saudi Arabia had intercepted missiles that were fired from Yemen at the Saudi capital. Yemen's Houthis fired a salvo of ballistic missiles at Saudi Arabia's capital on Wednesday. An attack Saudi authorities said that they intercepted in the skies over Riyadh, the capital. And this is something that we've seen over and over again, where uh, through Yemen, via Yemen, Iran has been firing missiles at Saudi Arabia. Here or there, taking pot shots at them, but they have not been successful in striking anything. Now, uh, all this talk of war, all these countries involved, one of the things that we're seeing is oil prices continue to go up, uh, I don't want to say dramatically, but what, over the last six weeks we've seen gas prices here go from 260, 270 up to 305, 310, and they're talking about, you know, seeing that go up to maybe $4 before the end of summer. We see the price per barrel of oil continue to rise. It's not going to get any better with the uh, <laughs> conflicts that are going on over there, John. No, it's not. In fact, uh, you you wouldn't be stretched too thin. You don't have to squint too hard to, again, examining this, this Israel, Israeli, Saudi Arabian component. We know, uh, and this has been on the record for a number of years now, that, that Saudi Arabia, Joe, really needs oil to hold at about $100 per barrel. Now, we know... To, in order yeah, to be to profitable, money. indeed. Because, and it's at 71 right now. Yeah, it, it just broke 70. Uh, that was top of drudge four or five days ago. Uh, so we could see a steep increase in oil prices. We're coming into the, the quote-unquote summer driving months. And, Joe, I, I hate to say this, but we could be looking at the $5 a gallon mark. We we very, very well could. We could be looking at 6 if uh, if this turns into a very serious regional uh, situation. Uh, for, forgive us, folks. At that, there was some I, noise. I, I, I heard we're under attack. Here. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> no, that you weren't. You're not going crazy, John. I heard that too. Uh, it sounded like a, a machine outside or something. But um, no, oil prices. Everybody, uh, you know, wants the oil, the gas to be cheap, and especially during this heavy travel. Uh, summer is always a heavy gasoline and travel season, so people want cheap gas. But we always see the oil prices uh, go up and spike around summertime. But this. Seems to be different because of the amount of conflict that we have in the Middle East. And as you said, Saudi Arabia looking for $100 a barrel oil. That is probably, I would say, going to happen. I saw articles, and I know, you know, this is speculation and whatnot, but people were talking about uh, oil and gas at a level much higher than $100, close to $200, $300 a barrel of oil, and what that would look like and translate to in gas prices. There was an article I read uh, last week or the week before, that talked about $15 gas in some Canadian town per gallon. Uh, and that's just, that's just crazy. But 
uh, again, strikes going on between Israel and Iran. Iran launching missiles into the Golan Heights area, stopped by the Iron Dome. This is not over. Israel will retaliate in some way, either by hitting markers in Syria that are Iranian targets, or by directly targeting Iran, which would step this up into a whole new level of conflict. But one thing that I'm reading universally throughout all these articles that I'm looking at, this is far from over, according to Israeli defense forces. So you keep know, your eye out for the response. Let Joe, let's see if we can just take a quick moment, and, and this is, granted, it's speculative, but let's try to put a little bit of a price tag on this, because consider uh, what we've heard in recent years from Christine Lagarde, uh, at the International Monetary Fund, as well as some of her exit remarks uh, from former Fair Chedman, uh, Fed Chairman Janet Yellen. Uh, we're in a situation, listeners and viewers, where we've painted ourselves into a corner financially. The simple uh, equation is we cannot raise interest rates to stave off hyperinflation because in so doing, by increasing the interest on, for example, the 30-year Treasury note, we uh, increase the interest that we owe uh, our 20 plus trillion dollar debt globally and that increases commensurate to the the overall rate increase so understand that that cost of borrowing money uh spreads all the way across the board so we so we really can't do the number one thing to control the monetary supply when it begins to become grossly exaggerated which is raise interest rates but what can we do i'll ask each of you here this evening uh again speculative but consider with oil at, as you said, Joe, 200 or $300 a barrel, look at what just happened. We have conflict in the region. We can sort of extrapolate it geopolitically, but you really need to rely on the Bible. You need to have biblical context to really begin to make sense of this, and we'll get into that in hour two with Mike Gendron and, and again in hour three with Pastor Langford. But if we could, if they could push oil to 200, 200 and change a barrel, then the whole Saudi Arabian U.S. petrodollar scheme has just doubled, if not tripled, the amount of U.S. dollars that have to be in play, which does what? It staves off the gross oversupply of U.S. dollars at home. So it's a backdoor way of controlling hyperinflation here. In the, uh, in the 50 states. And, and that's a, a great point, John. And, you know, we, uh, it's, it appears as though there's a willingness to let the oil continue to go up. And, and I don't know, uh, you know, besides the speculators, besides the uh, people who are uh, mining the oil out of the ground, who's making money on this? We know that, uh, uh, there's a lot of fingers in the pot when it comes to oil. And it's unfortunate. We've seen since we had under Bush, uh, you know, three fifty, four dollar, four fifty gallon uh, for a gallon of gas. We've seen that decrease tremendously. And what during the last few years of the Obama administration, it really bottomed out, almost down uh, below two dollars a gallon in many places. I remember, well, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, in Ohio, gas was just below two dollars a gallon. Now we're talking about uh, it's up a dollar, pretty much since I believe President Trump took office. So will that be an issue that he tackles? That'll be uh, something that is first and foremost on many people's minds moving into the summer, watching those conti- prices continue to rise. we got a few minutes before the end of the segment. I want to make sure we hit this, because this is so important. Yesterday we talked about the headline story on Drudge that the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenatti, had released a uh, report that detailed the list of payments reportedly made to Michael Cohen, the President uh, President Trump's attorney. 
and they were saying how these payments were out of the ordinary. They were criminal because they were from Russian oligarchs and, and uh, for other reasons, making no, providing no evidence to back up his claims. Well, the Daily Caller has an exclusive up here today. The attorney for Stormy Daniels, Michael Evanotti, accuses the wrong Michael Cohen of making fraudulent payments. Now, this is a huge deal because let's look at where the information came from and who is now investigating this. The Treasury Department, Inspector General's office in the Treasury Department, has opened a federal probe of how Stormy Daniels' lawyer got Cohen's bank intel. But according to the Daily Caller again, it was the wrong Michael Cohen. The fraudulent payments were made to a man named Michael Cohen who had no affiliation with President Trump. And the report goes on to uh, detail transactions and uh, bank amounts. But according to the Daily Caller and other information, they got the wrong guy. So somebody, either purposely or by accident, leaked the wrong Michael Cohen information out for some reason or, or on purpose. This Michael Avenetti was given the information or found the information, I suspect, the information was leaked directly to him, and he had published it. Whether that information, the, the person leaking it, knew it was the wrong Michael Cohen or not, that's the, the $64,000 question. But according to True Pundit, the Treasury Department has opened an investigation into this and is looking into allegations of how the information was released, saying the transactions or the uh, information was improperly disseminated and that these leaks should have never happened. And I'm reading up the three felonies were committed by the person leaking this information. So, you know, is this going to turn out to be some kind of trap that was set purposely to see where the information came out of, knowing it wasn't the proper Michael Cohen who they were leaking about? <laughs> well, we've got two uh, two issues in play here. The first is, is uh, improperly disseminated information, and then, of course, we've got to constantly deal with the underpinning notion of disinformation. And we know that uh, I think most of our uh, audience is aware that we're living in the era of big data. Okay, data is being noted uh, by contrarian economists uh, all the way across the board to just popular blog sites. Big data is the next revolution uh, in uh, in commerce and in commodities, if you will. So having the right data, the right information for the right individual is going to be one of the absolute key uh, uh, points of commerce over the next several years. Now, we read just the other day on Drudge how many... Uh, how many was it? Was it 550 something? Was it million or billion? Uh, uh, phone calls were uh, nabbed by the NSA. It was an enormous. Oh, account. I'm sure it's billion. I, I th- uh, it I mean. was. It was maybe. It, uh, forgive me for this. It was either. I'm not the best with numbers. It was either 550 million or 550 billion uh, points of data that had been nabbed by the NSA. Okay, so we can clearly collect the data, Joe. But as is possibly the case, this is personified in the cone issue. Collecting the data is one thing. Then you've got to figure out how you disseminate such an such enormous points of data, and that's that's where we're at at the what I would call the the first day of the era of big data. Well, uh, that's a great point. Mark Dice did a video this morning. I don't know if you saw it. It was about the rise of artificial intelligence and the different quotes from people like Elon Musk and others, how they were talking about you know the uh, dangers of artificial intelligence and how they're summoning demons. And, you know, basically it's, it's a, what they call it, a, a god of sorts, the AI, because it's a billion times smarter 
than a man's brain. And if if you haven't watched the Mark Dice video from today, um, I'm going to pull it up right now to uh, tell you guys exactly what the title is. It is worth checking out, if only for the quotes that he highlights in there from other tech industry people on artificial intelligence. Google's creepy new artificial intelligence bot. And in there you'll see the quotes from other people, but uh, that is the problem. And this is what the artificial intelligence does, and this is what algorithms on on YouTube does. There's so much content out there. There's so many phone calls. There's so much surveillance. Uh, there's so many cameras that you can't, it's not humanly possible to go through them and to gather and compile and transpose all that data. So you need systems in place, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it is, uh, you know, other software and, and, uh, you know, dissecting the words and transcribing everything. There needs to be a human component looking through them, being able to, to understand, uh, you know, the context of these conversations. So, as much as they, data as they can gather does not mean that they're going through all of it, but they have systems in place to make sure that, you know, what they deem important based on keywords is then looked at at a human level. Well, here, here's a, here's a, an Orwellian picture for you. Uh, we no longer send people into the workforce to manufacture things like cars, computers. Uh, here's, here's quaint. How about American made televisions and stereos? But we can just send every, we can send everybody to work for the NSA to, as Joe just said, go through all this data and apply it to the right people so that we can sell it and then sell you more products that are made elsewhere. You know, uh, Joe, I was just, uh, I was just thinking, uh, with, with regard to this entire issue. Uh, has anybody else noticed that everything that they do in the world of tech seems to be trying to summon a demon? Everything <laughs> yeah. from the, from the Hadron Collider to AI to whatever Elon Musk is up to. Well, it, it all seems to be about bringing, why is everybody so into this idea of attracting demons? Well, it's the, uh, spiritual battle <laughs> we're in and these people are turned over to evil. And that's a great point you make, John. And I want to make sure we pick up right here on the other side, uh, when Liz Crokin is going to be joining us. Also, want to bring your attention to the Red Pill Expo, redpillexpo.org. Just got an email from Patrick Wood today saying that the, uh, people who buy tickets to the Red Pill Expo 2018 in Spokane, Washington, June 21st through the 23rd, will now be getting sets of the 2017 conference, uh, the DVDs. So anybody who, any new ticket orders, general admission and VIP orders only between now and the end of May, We'll get a 10 disc, 19 hour set of $125 value, uh, for doing so of the 2017 Red Pill Expo. So use your discount code, uh, for the 15%. And, uh, we'll have that when we come back on the other side. I don't know what that code is off the top of my head. But when we come back, Liz Crokin, don't go anywhere. And welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. Had a momentary gap in my mind there. We are going to have Liz Crokin joining us in just a few moments. We're still trying to get here. But back to this real quick. The Treasury Department Inspector General opens federal probe on how Stormy Daniels' lawyer got Cohen's bank intel. This is really important. Treasury Department Inspector General is investigating how Stormy Daniels' lawyer, Michael Avendetti, obtained confidential banking records concerning a company controlled by President Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen. The Inspector General 
Richard Demar, said the office is looking into allegations that suspicious activity reports filed by about Cohen's banking transactions were improperly disseminated. And, you know, I, I don't even know that if these were uh, special, what, are this, what is this again, special activity reports. So it sounds like a bank filed suspicious activity reports on somebody's, uh, on Cohen's activity, and then those separately were leaked. But again, a report back to the Daily Caller details some of those payments in the seven-page Cohen document were actually about a separate Michael Cohen, and how do we know this? Well, there was a, a transfer made to an individual from a Malaysian company to a bank in Toronto where one of the people was contacted, and it turned out that it was, yes, made the payment made to a Michael Cohen, but the Michael Cohen in question was a brother of the person of actuarial partners, and it is not the same Michael Cohen at all. So some of the information that Stormy Daniels' lawyer is putting out there is not even the same person, as I said. So we have to parse through and see what is the truth, what is Michael, what is activity is directly related to the president's lawyer versus which ones are uh, the wrong Michael Cohen. <laughs> well, how well, about that? How about that? And and once we figure that out, then we've got to figure out does this have anything to do with the president? Uh, certainly. Uh, Attorney Cohen, uh, was not, uh, exclusively hired to, uh, at that time, I guess, uh, Mr. Trump, now, of course, President Trump. Uh, this is, yet again, it's just another avenue of a special, uh, special counsel looking for, uh, criminal complicity. And I would challenge any attorney's office in the country, regardless of what type law, uh, how squeaky clean the practice may run, to uh, successfully move through the crucible of uh, the examining eye of a special counsel without some kind of strange uh, question marks popping up. And uh, what concerns me about this are these suspicious activity reports. I know Liz is hanging uh, and ready to join us, so I'll say this quickly. You can get a special, a suspicious activity report filed on you from your bank for Withdrawing in excess with some banks, it's as little as three thousand dollars up to ten thousand yeah, deposits I, in excess of ten thousand. I got one filed on me once, Joe, for purchasing four hundred dollars worth of nickels. Yeah, I got uh, that. That's interesting. I'm glad you brought this up because I, I think it was last year uh, around the fall time, I tried to open uh, a savings account because I only have a checking account. I tried to open a savings account at a separate bank, and they came back with a report that uh, there was some kind of misconduct on my account to the tune of two hundred and fifty dollars. But I never, and it was the current bank account that I still held, never owed them money or anything. So I don't know. It appears that these uh, reports are filed, uh, and I never got a reason for it, but it appears that these reports are filed uh, fairly regularly. But anyway, with that, we have Liz Crokin with us. And Liz, it's great to have you back on, uh, hot on the heels of this New York Attorney General, uh, Snyderman, I think the Snyderman. Yeah. Being the biggest, you know, Me Too advocate out there, turns out he was, you know, behind the scenes beating up women. Oh, yeah. It's always the ones that are, are screaming the loudest A against Trump and the ones that, you know, mm-hmm. are screaming the loudest, pretending to be these, you know, wonderful heroes and victims for women's rights and, you know, advocates for sex crime victims, blah, 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 blah. Um, this guy, Eric Schneiderman, you know, you guys are at the forefront um, I think before anyone, you guys with True Pundit, talking about the insurance file, the life insurance file on Anthony Weiner's laptop. And 
Q has talked about this, and a lot of people have been frustrated and wondered why the contents of that laptop, which we've all heard from our sources, um, contains evidence of child sex trafficking. Now, we've all wondered why absolutely nothing has been done about that, why that evidence has not come out, why people have not been prosecuted um, in regards to the child sex trafficking evidence that was found on that laptop that involves high-profile politicians, including Hillary Clinton. Uh, another thing that we are now learning is that the child sex trafficking ring Nexium, which the mainstream media is still lying about, and they still refuse to call it that, but that's what it is. It's, it's a child sex trafficking ring, and their leader, who was arrested in Mexico and now is sitting in a prison cell, was um, accused of raping children ages 12 and 14 is what we've heard so far. Um, you know, there had been, I've been doing a lot of research on the Nexium child sex trafficking cult, as you guys know. They have been receiving complaints from victims for years, complaints to police officers, complaints to the Department of Health, because one of the newest things that we've learned about this Nexium child sex trafficking ring is that they were conducting illegal experiments on people, including experiments where they forced people to watch snuff films, films of being of people being gang raped, and films depicting cannibalism. Okay, so don't, uh, Liz, Liz don't forget lynch, don't forget lynching. They they forced them to watch uh, the lynching of a uh, African American individual as well, leaving oh, some women leaving yes. some women in dry heaving and hysterics. Um, yes, and 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 the cannibalism video was a um, a video of a man eating his own, being forced to eat pieces of his own brain. I mean, just the most like horrific stuff you could ever imagine. Now. Years and years and years of complaints about Nexium and Harvey Weinstein, and nothing's done. Those complaints, those police reports, the complaints to the Department of Health, all were ignored. By who? Schneiderman. Well, what are we learning about Schneiderman now? The guy is a serial abuser. He's a racist. He's a sexual pervert. And I I'm sure way worse than what we're hearing. I'm sure we're going to only continue to hear horrible things about him. But what is beginning to happen is we're beginning to understand this web that has been weaved to protect these people. Schneiderman, Cuomo, and people at the top in New York State were covering up for Nexium, Weinstein, child sex trafficking, illegal human experiments and personally I also believe which I believe we will learn soon they were all also covering up for probably um, organ harvesting uh, you know illegal like blood transfusions I'm sure the selling of baby parts and all kinds of crazy stuff but why was this stuff why did this go unnoticed for so many years? Why was this stuff not prosecuted? Why did the Department of Health and the police officers stand down? Well, it's because Schneiderman and Cuomo are corrupt themselves. And I would suspect that Schneiderman possibly was in Nexium. Nexium was this cult where not only were they trafficking kids, they had sex slaves that they branded. Well, what did Schneiderman have? Sex wow. slaves. Wow. Okay. Let's let's pause quickly. And and Liz, uh, by the way, welcome uh, to the Hagman Report, and thank you for joining us this evening. 
Uh, okay, just to, to, to do a quick recap with our guest, Liz Crokin. Liz, you just cinched up and put a big, ugly bow on what Joe and I have been looking at the last two days. It's, it's the New York City swamp, okay? Uh, similar to the DC swamp, equally odious, but just a different stench. And what you're suggesting, and I want to be clear, listeners and viewers, this is speculative. We are, uh, this is, this is supposition, but the, where there's smoke, there's fire. So, Liz, uh, politicians on the state level, the uh, local level, uh, perhaps as represented by A.G. Schneiderman, the Nexium component, uh, headquartered or, or, or centralized in New York, and the, mm-hmm. uh, Aberdeen Wiener laptop, we're still waiting for a ton of, we've got more questions than answers there, and trafficking writ large that, uh, that all of these people may in fact be uh, involved in, dare I say, one massive conspiracy, or better yet, collusion. absolutely, absolutely, oh, and 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 like and like a, a, a herd, like branding a herded commodity, like cattle. Uh, I mean, I, it's hard to wrap your head around this. They, 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 these women would join Nexium ostensibly to further their careers uh, in Hollywood or in media. Uh, and I know that back in the '90s, it was also a, a multi-level marketing uh, scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of a pyramid structure, if you will. But then there was this this upper order or this upper echelon uh, that in Latin means slave to the master, where they were, in fact, uh, branding women. Mm-hmm. I'll hand it back um, to you. Absolutely. And, and, and actually, like, right before I got on air with you guys, I got some text messages from our beloved Pizzagate Pedogate Angela, who's, you know, she's not on Twitter anymore. They've closed on like 15 accounts of hers but she and and I still communicate constantly and she's still in this fight and doing research and she found a tweet from Stormy Daniels um, from years ago where she talks about that she may be joining a sex cult and then there was someone else that found pictures of Stormy Daniels that shows a tattoo on her stomach I saw this Liz did you guys see this okay when I first saw this Okay, so the, let me just let your audience know that Stormy Daniels has this massive, really ugly tattoo all across her stomach. And I think a researcher or an anon looked at these photos, zoomed in on them, and it looks like she could have the, the Nexium branding, okay? And that she got this massive tattoo to try to cover it up. Now, when I first saw it, I was like, it could be. I'm not totally convinced. So I, I didn't even, I didn't retweet it or anything. And then tonight, Angela's messaging me that, you know, Stormy's tweeted years ago about joining a sex cult. And now I'm thinking, maybe she was in Nexium. Yeah, and Liz, I'm showing John right now a picture that I'm going to send to him. But there's a Twitter uh, out there, a Twitter handle out there. Uh, his name is, or their name is truth seeker at butterscotch 77 that has some pictures of this up there but you're right mm-hmm. in 2010 february 18th of 2010 stormy daniels tweeted i think i am about to be initiated into a gang or maybe it's a cult and then they never exactly. they don't go in any further uh she doesn't go in any further from there but there are pictures of this tattoo covered up and if you look and i'll have to post this on hagman reports because you could see the actual initials in this tattoo whether it is the branding or not, it looks very similar. So, you and, know, it, and honestly, it would make sense. It would make sense because, you know, this, it sounds like this ring, Nexium and these dirty politicians 
in New York. And by the way, who who else lives in New York or has a, a big house there? And I believe it's her main residency, Marina Abramovic. I believe that the people at the top of the spirit cooking, the elite pedophile rings, are mostly based in New York. And we also know that the evidence from a lot of this was on Anthony Weiner's laptop, which happened to be in New York. And we've been waiting forever for that for that to be prosecuted. And it's it wouldn't surprise me that they're using someone that possibly was in Nexium to try to take down President Trump because what's President Trump doing? He's taking down elite pedophile rings. And it looks like the biggest, you know, the ring that may be the biggest or the, the hub of all this is in New York where we also have Harvey Weinstein living and the Clintons living. And we both know that the Clintons are associated with Nexium. Several members of Nexium donated to the Clintons. Three of the members of Nexium sat on the Clinton Global Initiative Board. It goes on and on and on and on. Okay, so so this this is just fascinating. And again, for those just joining us, our guest is Liz Crokin. Uh, visit her website. Uh, it's easy to remember. Uh, it's LizCroken.com. Follow Liz on Twitter uh, at Liz Crokin and. Uh, I definitely suggest uh, for everyone in our audience who who has Twitter and uses Twitter, Liz is a great source to follow. She's basically on the front line doing uh, an enormous amount of sifting through the research, contacting uh, direct sources, et cetera, so that you don't have to. And she's got the 20-plus years of uh, professional journalism experience to back it up. Liz, you just mapped out what we could watch unfold. We could see this sort of unpack. Uh, I don't know that we'll see it in mainstream media per mm-hmm. se, but this could be a situation where from from uh, questionable, even horrific medical experimentation mm-hmm. through to branding, child trafficking, the Clinton Foundation... And the potential, Joe just showed me some optics that if they are in fact legit, if these have not been photoshopped, would definitely suggest that Stormy Daniels may in fact have a Nexium brand on the right side of her abdomen covered up by that hideous tattoo. But we'll never know. Exactly. And, you know, what I think, you know, I've been telling people in the community, I'm like, focus on Nexium, focus on Nexium, because I think that Nexium is is the domino that's going to bring down the whole ring, because I believe it's connected to other rings and all the powerful elites are involved in the spirit cooking and child sex trafficking but some i think it was fed up with swamp like someone on twitter that's been researching all this said that schneiderman you know broke the dam and i believe that's right i believe that you know he's the one that was preventing all these groups and all of this corruption and trafficking and sexual abuse he was he was the one that was the wiener laptop he was the one that was not prosecuting any of this stuff but what did he prosecute trump university you know, so it's like um, I believe that now that he's been exposed and he resigned, I believe that we're really going to see see a lot of movement um, with, you know, things that should have been exposed and prosecuted years ago, you know, such as Nexium. I mean, again, like I, like I said through my research, there have been victims for several, several years been complaining about this organization, uh, you know, the the sexual assault, the branding, the illegal experiments, and just all the horrific things they were doing to people, and no one did anything. And, and, and I just want to also say that, you know, I'm not saying that the police officers are bad because there's so many good police officers out there, especially NYPD. But, it, you know, if an officer fills out a report and investigates a case, 
you know, it's not his fault if the attorney general or the DA refuses to prosecute. You know, that's out of the, a police officer's control. So, you know, right. I believe the people at the top, like Schneiderman, were telling people to stand down on this, and, you know, he was clearly standing down himself. Because, and why? Because he's clearly guilty, you know, of crimes himself, and maybe he was also involved in Exeum. And we don't even, I mean, this is just scratching the surface on Schneiderman. And I want to ask you this, Liz, what do you think, uh, we know that President Trump in 2013 tweeted out that Schneiderman was much worse than Spitzer or Anthony Weiner, and yeah. having some insight, I'm sure, into this man's behavior. But what do you think it was that, uh, it's Savage asked this question yesterday, that put this together so quickly from the uh, woman being interviewed to the story being released to him resigning. Do you think this was, you know, a Giuliani Trump thing or do you think this just oh, yeah. was okay. Oh yeah. I, I absolutely I, I think that I think that everything from Weinstein being exposed to Schneiderbin being exposed was hundred percent President Trump behind the scenes using his people to get the word out about these sick criminals. And that's funny, um, Liz, because they bash him. The Me Too movements, you know, basically one of their main foundational beliefs is Donald Trump is, uh, you know, the most evil person know, on the right, face right. of the earth. So that's and, interesting. You know, and, you know, actually, President Trump, I saw at least, I want to say at least seven tweets um, from probably going back at least ten years from President Trump calling out Schneiderman. I mean, it's just unbelievable how far ahead of everyone else President Trump is. He's been calling him out for being a pervert, creepy. He was talking about how he wears eyeliner. He called him a cokehead in one tweet. I mean, he has been calling out <laughs> this guy for years. And this man is just always like 10 steps ahead of everyone else. And he's always right. He's always proven right. You know, President Trump has been in these circles forever. And he really knows dirt on everyone. And he knows where all the bodies have been buried. And Wow, it's just amazing to see all of his tweets age so well and all these people that he's called out before getting exposed right now. It's just it's just incredible. I've never seen anything like it. You know, it's funny uh, because people often quip, uh, you know, the president just needs to get off Twitter. And, and my opinion is, no, he does not. <laughs> um, his 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 tweets, you're right, they age very well. Liz, uh, we've only got you for a few more minutes, but and I want to switch gears. The title of this evening's show, Met Gala 2018, oh, God. Heavenly Bodies, Hellish Souls. Now, that title, uh, the Heavenly Bodies part, is referring to the actual title of the event that went on at the Metropolitan Museum of Art yeah. in New York City on Monday, uh, May 7th. Uh, I'm going to hand this to you to uh, give us your insight on the Met Gala or the uh, the Luciferian Fest, if you will. But I just caught this uh, from a piece uh, over at uh, teenvogue.com. It's probably the only time in the history uh. of the show you'll hear me source teenvogue.com. It says... Uh, that this year marks the 70th anniversary of fashion's biggest fundraising event. The theme for the 2018 iteration of the Met Gala is Heavenly Bodies, Fashion and the Catholic Imagination. And it has many rumbling that it's the most controversial yet. Interestingly, Liz, 
There's an important component to this being the 70th year of this event. It's also the 70th year of the uh, reestablishment of the modern state of Israel. Why is this important? Because Scripture tells us that a generation in our modern era is is 70 years. So right on the 70th year anniversary, we know that the that many cases the Luciferians know the Bible better than many Christians do. So here we they have do. here we have Schneiderman, Nexium, Stormy Daniels, branding of human beings. Uh, <laughs> it, it looks like it all may tie in to the Clinton Foundation somehow, it could be one of the key components that's that's an adversary to President Donald Trump. And at the same time, we have the optics Monday night of the, yeah. this, just this devilish freak show. Liz, I'll hand it to you. Yeah, well, the cabal, the you know, I call them the pedophile Satanists, Luciferians, whatever you want to call them, they're losing. Uh, they're losing desperately, and I've noticed over the past few years they've gotten increasingly desperate, and they've actually like really stepped it up with like flaunting, you know, their demonic symbolism, their pedophile symbolism, their Illuminati symbolism. They've just really ramped it up because they know they're losing. They know they're losing power, and they believe that they more that they flaunt, you know, their worship of Moloch and the devil. That the, the more power that they'll get. And so, you know, they're at this point, they're pulling out all the stops. And it took me a really long time to really understand what they believe in their quote unquote religion. But I now understand, and you actually helped me understand this, that everything that they do because they're, they're literal Satanists is to mock God, is to mock Jesus. So it's no surprise they had this Christian theme and they were literally, they, they, they weren't you know, praising Jesus. They weren't praising God. They were mocking him. I mean, they had Madonna come out and sing like a prayer. First of all, we know Madonna is like up to her eyeballs in dark stuff. We'll just leave it at that. But they had Madonna come out and perform her, I believe it was her like a prayer. And it was, to me, very obvious. It was a ritual, very dark. You know, everyone's dressed in the gowns. It looks like a scene straight out of Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, it, it looked like a full-blown ritual to me. And I also noticed that a lot of the costumes um, reminded me of some of these um, Luciferian satanic uh, parties that the Rothschilds have ha have had. There was a party that the Rothschilds had back in the 70s. Anyone can go and Google this right now. Rothschilds party, um, 70s. And you're going to see pictures of um, bread that is uh, depicts babies being torn up, you know, by their limbs into different pieces. People wearing these freakish masks. Uh, there's, I, I believe... It was Audrey Hepburn wearing this weird birdcage over her head, and Sarah Jessica Parker wore um, a similar piece on her head, which I believe was supposed to have the um, nativity scene in it. And to make no mistake, that's a, that that's her way to mock God and Jesus. And um, a lot of the outfits and the symbolism reminded me of some of these like creepy Rothschild parties that you know that that pictures have been. Um, Pictures oh, yeah. have been leaked from these parties from like years ago, and, and I Christmas, encourage everyone though, in the seventies. You can yeah, find one if you search that. Google those pictures. They will just, you know, any of your listeners that haven't Google those pictures, Google them. They'll pull right up. They are just the pictures are so weird. They're mind blowing. They're so freakish, but it really it kind of gives you an inside look into what these creepy parties are like, and just how dark and sinister and, and just creepy these people are. But but the Met Gala this year. 
you know, reminded me of a Rothschild party. And I, you know, it, there's no doubt in my mind that this was just their way of um, mocking God. And I believe the whole event was a ritual. I agree. Uh, you know, and what's even worse is the Vatican gave them permission. Also, Father, is it Timothy Dolan? Loaned mm-hmm. Rihanna the Pope hat that she was seen wearing. So this yeah. was given the okay by the highest level of the Catholic Church. Well, and we all know that Pope Francis is a disgusting false prophet, and his, you know, highest aide, his most senior executive, is currently sitting in Australia in a jail cell facing multiple charges of child molestation. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me in the least. Well, Liz, we only got about a minute left. Uh, Any closing thoughts or comments that you want to hit on before we let you go? No, I just, you know, I um, keep up the good work, you guys, and I just encourage everyone to keep researching Nexium and Schneiderman, um, Stormy Daniels, you know, the Clintons, the Bronfman sisters, um, the Seagrams, all of these families, all of these elites, they're all connected to Nexium. And, you know, I believe that as we learn more and more about this cult, we're going to see many people get exposed and taken down because I'm telling you that Nexium is at the center of all of this and I believe it's going to unwind and expose hopefully all these yeah. horrible people. And this is not, you know, this is, these are not consensual uh, sex groups. It may start out like that, but we're talking about, you know, sexual slavery and, uh, you know, physical violence and that's where, um, it gets crazy, and, and uh, you know we're seeing these these claims come from not only from the highest level of politics in Hollywood, but all across society. Liz Crokin, thank you so much for joining us. At Liz Crokin on Twitter, LizCrokin.com. Keep up the good work. Oh, you too, guys. Have a great night. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. All right. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Mike Gendron. He joined us on The Daily Show on Friday and part two Monday, where we talked about the commonalities between Catholicism and Islam and watching this merger of a one world religious system. He's going to come on and break that down for us. And we do uh, and have been continuing to follow what's been going on in Israel and Syria. And we're keeping an eye on that and we'll keep you informed of any breaking news that we see. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go anywhere. edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined in just a few moments by Mike Gendron, and we are also following the latest of what's going on in Syria as we are awaiting some kind of Israeli response as they have announced that this is not over, that you will see a response. So we're keeping our eyes on the Middle East. And again, Mike Gendron's going to come on, and we got a lot more for you uh, as we go through the show. You know, Joe, i got to tell you, the headlines, of course, folks, the headlines, wow. Just listening to the, uh, to the show as I am working in the office is just absolutely incredible. I want to say hello to all of our, all of our listeners. Thank you so much for your support and support the show in other ways as well while taking care of business. Mother's Day is this Sunday. Let's be real. Look, if your big Mother's Day surprise consists of one well-crafted text message, you got to go back to the drawing board 
ASAP. Moms deserve more than just emojis. Do it right this year and celebrate mom with this special limited time offer from 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, right now, you can take care of all of the mothers on your list. 1-800-Flowers will give you 24 color, multicolored roses. That's two dozen multicolored roses plus a free vase for only $29.99. Now, i got to tell you, that's an offer mom would approve of. With a bright and beautiful mix of premium roses in a rainbow of colors, these blooms are guaranteed to make her smile. Multicolored roses are the perfect way to surprise all of the moms in your life, wife, aunt, sister, grandma. These breathtaking roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak. They're shipped overnight to ensure freshness. 24 multicolored roses plus a free vase for only $29.99. What an amazing offer. But hurry, it expires soon, and Mother's Day is a Sunday. Just pick a delivery date, and 1-800-Flowers will handle the rest. Don't put this off. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. It's what mom would want you to do. Now, here's what you got to do. Listeners to the Hagman Report, we, we were able to secure this deal on your behalf. Take advantage of this. Support this show by, by taking advantage of this offer. To order two dozen, that's 24 multicolored roses, plus a free vase for only $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Click the radio icon and enter the code Hagman. That's H-A-G-M-A-N-N. That's 1-800-Flowers.com. The code is Hagman. Guys, do it for your wives who are the mother of your children. Do it today, right now, right after the show. You know, very quickly, I lost my mom at an early age. And if I could have the times when I could have given her flowers, if I could have those times back, I would. I mean, I would just I'd give anything. Don't let that time pass. Let her, let the person in your life, your mom, your wife, your grandma, whoever, let them know how much you love them. Two dozen. That's 24 multicolored roses plus a free vase for only $29.99. Code word Hagman. You got to click the radio icon and enter code Hagman. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code Hagman. I'm going to turn this back to Joe and John. Keep it up, man. Well, thank you, and absolutely. Uh, get your mother flowers for Flowers Day. That's what, uh, sending, did I say Flowers Day? Mother's Day. Great. Thanks, Eric. Alright, we, uh, are back. We have Mike Gendron, who is coming on with us. His website is the following, proclaimingthegospel.org. There, if you go under the, uh, equip section, go to the newsletters, you can read his latest piece, what we're going to be focusing on tonight, common bonds between Islam and Catholicism. And earlier in the show, I highlighted an article that was dated just from today out of thecollegefix.com that says the following Catholic University opens sex segregated prayer space for Muslim students. In Iowa, Davenport, Iowa, a Catholic university opened up a prayer room to specifically for students of the Islamic faith, according to a local NPR report. The room features sinks for ritual foot washing as well as separate areas for male and female worshipers since Islamic tradition calls for different prayer areas for each sex. And the uh, faculty and everything are calling this outstanding and amazing. 
But the bigger issue, as we are talking about, is the overall common bonds between Islam and Catholicism and where that is taking us and what we are going to see here and into the near future. Uh, Mike Gendron, welcome to the Hagman Report. Well, it's good to be back with you, Joe. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. John's here uh, co-hosting with me today, and you were on our daily show last uh, the, the end of last Friday and then Monday uh, for the last 45 minutes, and we covered uh, a lot of ground on this topic. But let's uh, let's go over this again. You know, this is a very important topic from the uh, globalist one-world religion and prophetic aspects of this to what we're uh, seeing now uh, before this real true merger. Uh, of these similarities between the two religions and the direction that we're moving in. So uh, let's talk about your latest newsletter. Mike, where do you want to start? Well, it might be good to start with some Bible prophecy. We know that in the later days, and we are in those later days, that there will be a false prophet on the earth that will point people to the Antichrist. And we read in Revelation 13 all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That is the first beast. Everyone whose name has not been written in the Lamb's book of life who has been slain. And then we read the false prophet, which is referred to as the second beast, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the false Christ. And so in these two passages, Revelation 13, we see that there will be a global religion that everyone on this earth will worship the false Christ and his partner will be the false prophet. And so we're living in a time where I believe all the furniture on the stage has been set. We're ready for that final event. We see a lot of things developing in the world, a one-world economy, a one-world government, and, yes, a one-world religion. And I think the catalyst for the global religion will be the Roman Catholic Church. They've been building bridges into all the religions of the world, primarily to the Muslim religion, and that was the subject of my newsletter, The Common Bonds Between Islam and Roman Catholicism. I also gave a message on that. In fact, I've given several messages. One is the coming one world religion, and that's available on our DVD with all of our PowerPoint and keynote slides. And I encourage anybody who doubts whether or not there will be a global religion to get a copy of that DVD because it is prophetic, and that's one of the reasons why we believe the Bible. It's because God has foretold future events. In fact, when the Bible was written, a third of it contained Bible prophecy, and we have seen over half of those come true just in the perfect time and place that God told them, told us that they would come true. So we can trust the Bible. It is indeed God's inspired, inerrant, authentic word, and he has foretold the future. That's why we can look to the future and know that we need to be prepared. And, Joe, I'd like to say at the outset, I have a great love and compassion for Roman Catholics and Muslims. They represent a huge mission field. I used to be part of that mission field. I was a Roman Catholic for 35 years of my life, and I didn't know the truth. I didn't know the gospel. I thought I belonged to the one true church, but only when I opened the Bible did I realize how woefully deceived I was. And so it's my heart's desire that anyone listening to this program will submit to the supreme authority of God's Word in all matters of truth and faith. There is no more trustworthy authority than God's Word. And so as we look at these common bonds, 
I encourage everybody to recognize that I am providing information from God's inspired word. And so I'm just the messenger. If anybody has a problem with what I'm saying, I would encourage them to be a good Berean, to test what I'm saying with the supreme authority of God's word. Absolutely. Indeed. Uh, for those just joining us, our guest this hour is Mike Gendron, and we've had an ongoing dialogue uh, with Mr. Gendron, uh, Joe Hagman and myself, uh, on the Hagman Daily Show. So uh, for those of you who are particular, find this hour particularly compelling, by all means, uh, feel free to access uh, archived from HagmanReport.com. Uh, simply go up to the top left and uh, click on the uh, menu bar, Two New Shows. That will take you directly to the Blog Talk Radio archive, for uh, Friday's show, Friday, May 4th, as well as Monday, May 7th. This was a two-parter with our guest, Mike Gendron. Uh, uh, Mr. Gendron, let's uh, let's uh, kind of start here. Uh, I pulled this uh, article as part of my show, Pep. This is from prophecynewswatch.com, and I think it's a particularly good article uh, because it uh, maps out a timeline, uh, and we can take a deep look at what Pope Francis has been doing uh, since he became the, the, uh, head of the Catholic Church. Um, so, first of all, we've seen this Pope hesitant to ever refer to obvious acts of Islamic terrorism as such. He is, uh, really taking a page from the uh, Barack Obama school of thought in refusing to do so. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we saw back in January 2016, and I'm not going to go through this entire exhaustive timeline, Mike, but uh, this jumped out at me. January 2016, the Vatican releases an extremely disturbing video in which Pope Francis declared that all the major world religions are, quote, seeking God or meeting God in different ways, end quote, and that ultimately, quote, we are all children of God, end quote. Uh, the second part of that quote I think we can all agree on, Mike. The first part sounds like something that we may have perhaps heard on the Oprah Winfrey show, and this ties directly into the piece that that opened this dialogue between uh, Joe Hagman, uh, yourself, and I, uh, common bonds between Islam and Catholicism, and we'll want to get in and unpack this this evening as well. So it seems that what we have is... Uh, from Rome, from the Vatican, we seem to have this push for what they what they uh, couch as religious unity, but there's of course a more insidious component in that, which is a universal religion or what some colloquially term Chrislam. And then, lastly, Mike, before I hand it to you, what did we see Monday night at? the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York with the Met Gala uh, Heavenly Bodies and uh, Joe and I reported on this on the Hagman Daily Show today that the uh, uh, Cardinal of New York, uh, the Archdiocese there, uh, actually loaned part of the, the papal garments, if you will, to uh, Rihanna, who's a well-documented practitioner of witchcraft. So with that, Mike, I'll hand it to you and let's start to sort of unpack this. Yeah, there's been so much going on with this Pope. Uh, some people probably read where Katy Perry just had an audience with the Pope, and she spoke on transcendental meditation. What we're seeing with this Pope is he's become the most controversial Pope in modern history. Many of his statements are not only in opposition to Roman Catholicism, and that is historic Roman Catholicism, but of course they're also in opposition to the Bible. 
his deceptive lies are carrying a lot of weight because many gullible people who have no discernment are looking to him as a good man, one who is seeking world peace and to love everybody because we're all children of God. But the Bible calls these people false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's what the apostle wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, 11, 14 to 16, the apostle Paul. So the father of lies, the devil, is using false apostles to deceive the world. And one of the ways he does that is by suggesting that all people are children of God. And that's what, as you have stated, Pope Francis has said. He also said in that same quote that there are many who are seeking God in different ways. But we know from Scripture that no one seeks after the true God. There are many who seek after a false God. But um, we're not all children of God. In fact, again, I like to use the Bible as my supreme authority and just um, show how the Pope has got the spirit of Antichrist. Because in 1 John 3.10, we read, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So here we see in this passage there are two groups of people. There are the children of God and the children of the devil. And then John chapter 8, verse 44, when Jesus is speaking to the apostate Jewish leaders, he said, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So clearly, anybody that does not submit to the supreme authority of God's word and does not believe the truth of God's word, as we see in John chapter 8, Jesus soundly rebukes them as being children of the devil. And so we see this pope very controversial. It's so interesting because this pope also has told the world that Islam and Roman Catholics worship the same God. It's really interesting because we know the Roman Catholic Church upholds the triunity of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but yet the Pope says, no, we worship the same God. But Allah, who is the Muslim God, does not have a son. In fact, we see in Scripture that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is often referred to as the true God, but in the Quran, Allah is never referred to that way. In Scripture, God calls the Jews his chosen people, but in the Quran, Allah's covenant is with Ishmael. It's really interesting if I can just share a witnessing opportunity I had sure. in South Bend, Indiana. I was um, waiting in line at a restaurant for a table, and a couple of Muslim men walked in, and I engaged them in a conversation about the Quran and about the Bible. And I asked the Muslims, I said, do you know the difference between your holy book and the Bible? And they said, no, we don't. And I told them that the Bible foretells the future. In fact, when it was written, a third of it was prophetic. And that's because the God of the Bible is the true God. He knows the end from the beginning, and he controls all events in the history of the world. And the Quran doesn't foretell the future because... And I said this very lovingly, the God of the Koran does not know the future. He is not the true God. And so one of the Muslim men said, I did not know that about the Bible. 
I will have to pick it up and start reading it. And so, again, I think if we can challenge people in their unbelief and point them to the true God that is gloriously revealed in Scripture, then the Word of God will bring forth life to those the Spirit of God brings conviction and illumination to. Amen. And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we, we don't, it seems to be leaving us more and more is the ability to dialogue and have, uh, you know, debates and, and uh, just basic civil discord. And that's it, just gone, all gone out the window with the uh, political climate that we have today. So it's always great to hear stories and, and people who are able to talk to each other about these issues without it getting crazy or, or violent. Um, but yeah, the Pope, as you said, he is, uh, has an antichrist spirit just from his actions, from his own statements. Uh, the things that he's been focused on, uh, you know, talking about uh, in that interview, there is no hell and uh, just there, there's so a laundry list of things that we could go over. And, and as I read at the beginning, when you coming on, you know, the, uh, just the little things that we see, uh, Catholic universities creating areas in the, in the churches where they're allowing Muslims to have sex segregated prayer rooms and whatnot. There seems to be this intertwining, and you point out the ten. The, is it ten bonds here? Yeah, ten, ten common bonds, bonds, right? That show this uh, bond between Islam and Catholicism. Now, before we get into this, I just want to ask you this: Do you believe that it's possible, as you said, the people who follow Pope Francis without the discernment, who are duped by him? Do you think it is possible for Catholics, Catholic believers, not the Vatican, but Catholic believers, to buy into this merger, this coexist or uh, unification of the two religions? Well, that's a, a question that takes a little bit of explanation. I do believe that there are born-again Christians in the Catholic Church, but the Spirit of God has not moved them out because any true believer will not continue in a false religion. We see in John 4.24 that God seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth. It's impossible to worship God in spirit and in truth when you're in an apostate false religion. And so there are born-again Christians uh, in the Catholic Church, but eventually when they're discipled in the truth and where they're called to obey everything Christ has commanded, then they will come out of the church because the Spirit of God indwells them. And so for those people... Uh, to come to a knowledge of what's going on with this Pope, I think it'd be pretty evident to anyone that's been born again that this Pope is a false prophet, that he's a false teacher. I mean, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven, and yet this Pope says there is no hell. And so he has the spirit of Antichrist, and um, he worships a false Jesus, the Pope does. He lifts up a Eucharist and declares that through the miracle of transubstantiation that Jesus Christ has come back down at the beck and call of a priest to be offered again on an altar even though he cried out in victory on the cross it is finished and so this is a precursor to the false Christ that will be worshipped in the end times 1.2 billion Roman Catholics are already worshipping a false Christ and he is the Jesus of the Catholic Church we also know that Islam has a false Christ. They refer to him as Esau, and he did not die on a cross. Muslims do not believe he is God, and Muslims are forbidden to worship him. And so the stage is set for the worship of a false Christ because the non-believing world already has many different false Christs that they can look to. So that's a, a long answer to your question, but when you have the spirit of truth indwelling you, 
then you have the Word of God that gives you the truth and you're able to discern between truth and error. And so when a false statement is made, a true believer will be able to discern that by referring to the Bible as his final court of appeals. Wow. You know, uh, as we examine Pope Francis, and, and this is just, it's such a, it's such a confusing thing to do to, 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 to take a look at, at who this man is, uh, what are his perceived personal beliefs, uh, versus what he demonstrates as the, the, uh, the head of the, the Roman Catholic Church, the papacy. Uh, again, back to this article, Mike, from Prophecy News Watch. Uh, it says, uh, in September 2015, during a stop at St. Patrick's Cathedral, Pope Francis stressed the unity between Christianity and Islam. These words were directly spoken by him. Quote, I would like to express two sentiments for my Muslim brothers and sisters. Firstly, my greetings as they celebrate the Feast of Sacrifice. I would have wished my greeting to be warmer, my sentiments of closeness, my sentiments of closeness in the face of tragedy, the tragedy that they suffered in Mecca. In this moment, I give assurances in my prayers. I unite myself with you all, a prayer to Almighty God, all merciful. Now, if we break this down just a little bit, first of all, he indicates, Mike, uh, that he wants to give greetings as they celebrate the Feast of Sacrifice. Now, we know that a Feast of Sacrifice to the Muslim God Allah is by definition it is a it is paganism it is a, it's a satanic ritual that's just been dressed up in the religiosity of islam and then at the end of his quote when he says i unite myself with you all a prayer to almighty god all merciful those two words all merciful are not a mistake that's directly taken from muslim prayer from islamic prayer and then as we uh, skip down uh, to July of the same year, uh, while in Ecuador, the Pope said that, uh, it says here he spoke of the need for, quote, a new economic and ecological world order in which wealth of the planet is shared by everyone. And then lastly, uh, a month earlier in 2015, June 2015, he called for, quote, a new global political authority that would have the resources necessary to, quote, deal with the world's economic problems and injustices. So, Mike, two questions. It's safe to say that this man demonstrates a spirit of Antichrist. And question number two, is this man demonstrating uh, the attributes of the false prophet? He most definitely is. The Bible says there will be many Antichrists, but then there will be a final Antichrist. And all the historical Antichrists have had the spirit of Antichrist, where they deny the person and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this Pope has gone beyond any of the previous false prophets of Rome. He is a Jesuit, and the Jesuits have an agenda. In fact, their ongoing goal, the Jesuits, they were established 500 years ago at the beginning of the Reformation, and their ongoing goal has been to establish a kingdom for their Pope and to eliminate anyone in opposition. So it was during the Inquisition that they ordered the murder of countless Millions who would not submit to the Pope. So one of the things that I think your listeners need to be aware of, the Roman Catholic Church has an eschatology that says that Jesus Christ will not return until the whole world is made Roman Catholic. And so that's why you see the Pope seeking 
this global religion, building bridges, pushing forward the ecumenical movement, because this is the Jesuit agenda. And it's all based on their false eschatology that Jesus will not return until the whole world is Roman Catholic. And so you see him, as you've stated so well, that he is pushing for a global authority, because ultimately that's what we see in Revelation. We see a religious authority. We see a global authority. Two of them work together to bring about this global unity. And the two religions that we're looking at, Islam and Roman Catholicism, both have a history of forcing people to convert. They have a history of killing those in opposition. And that's going to be the government of the Antichrist. He will force people to convert, to worship him, him as the Christ, and those who will not convert and take the mark of the beast will be put to death. And so we're seeing these two autocratic religions that have this history as being a precursor to the coming Antichrist and the global religion and the global government. And John, I think that's why it's important to state again, we live in probably the most interesting times in the last 2,000 years because so much has been prophesied which we are being able to witness today. When the Apostle John wrote that in the end times there would be one person able to control the entire economy, I mean, that was sheer impossible. That was a sheer impossibility 2,000 years ago. But now we have the technology to where a person can actually control whether or not anybody buys or sells through a digital device, whether it's implanted in the wrist or the forehead, just as we've seen in Scripture. So we're living in very exciting times, which I guess gives us all a great responsibility, not only to reach out to those who are perishing, but also to contend earnestly for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel. And that is uh, the reason we're still here. That's the reason the Lord didn't take us to heaven the moment we were born again. That's a, you know, it is very interesting the times that we live in. You know, you look at the, uh, the, as you said, one third of the Bible being prophetic. Some of the prophecies that talk about the times that we live in and from the 70 year history now of Israel becoming a nation again for the first time in 2000 years to the rise of the technology that we see and the capabilities of that technology, how they're increasing so much. Uh, all these prophecies align with, uh, you know, all these things happening align with prophecies that we see in the Bible. And then, you know, we look at the whole, what's going on in the Middle East even right now with the uh, wars that we've seen there the last five years and then even before that with Iraq. And uh, there's something very uh, intense going on, something spiritual behind all the, all this that we see. And it is definitely exciting times to be living in. Um Joe, if I could just sure. interject there, yeah. you're talking about the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation again. That is actually taking place next week. And I believe that is one of the greatest miracles, supernatural events in our lifetime that we can point skeptics and doubters to because the Lord prophesied that he would scatter the Jews over the face of the earth, but one day he would regather them as a sovereign nation and we've seen that take place, and it will be celebrated the 70th anniversary next week. I think Henry Morris said it best, and I just love this quote, that a nation 
could be completely destroyed as an organized entity by an invading army in 70 AD, its people either slaughtered or scattered from one end of the world to the other, its land occupied and ruled by aliens for 1900 years, and yet survive as a distinct nationality, and then finally regain its homeland and be recognized as a viable nation once more seems impossible. Yet it was predicted to happen many centuries before it happened. And we are eyewitnesses to that taking place. If anybody doubts whether or not God is sovereign, that he controls all events, we need to look at this prophecy of the Jews being scattered over the face of the earth and yet maintaining their distinct ethnic nationality. And then God superintending all the events to take place to bring them back to their homeland. And now, 70 years later, we're celebrating Israel being born again as a physical nation. We know they will not be born again spiritually until they look upon the one that they pierced when Jesus Christ returns. But isn't it interesting that it was in 70 A.D. that Jerusalem and Israel were invaded by a army that destroyed them, and now here we are celebrating the 70th anniversary. I'm not sure the two numbers have any coincidence or not, but it's good speculation, isn't it? It It is, and, you know, it, it's undeniable what you just uh, stated about the whole history of the Jewish people, and, you know, really no other people throughout history have uh, been through anything like what the Jewish people have been through and kept their national identity and then, you know, reappeared as as a nation again, as prophesied, which is the most important part by the Lord, and that in itself is is, is amazing. And then you look at all the other things that are happening uh, today in our in our day and age, and then, as I said, the technology for the first time ever, as you stated, the technology, the technological capabilities are there to have everybody on a one-world economic system all computerized and and this AI system we talked about in the first half hour uh, where they we we looked at what Elon Musk and others said about how they're summoning a demon with this artificial intelligence you combine that with the the technology and the control and you can really see a, a picture emerge of uh, the the end times financial system with that mark of the beast and as you said being predicted in 70 AD it's almost unfathomable uh, unless you had uh, the Lord and the information, so you know here we are, and it's uh it it, it always what's going to happen next is what I wonder, uh, and we're we're continuing day by day to see this stuff unfold. And Mike, I don't know if you've been following what's been going on in Syria, but we uh, promised our listeners to keep people updated, and Maria sent us a link: two Russians killed by Israeli air airstrikes. Uh, two members of the Russian military were killed by Israeli airstrikes in Syria, uh, according to this report it's, uh, from Maria Kanis. So, Maria, thank you. And we still have not seen a retaliation. There's lots of speculation on Twitter as to what's happening, but we haven't seen any real uh, big updates in the last uh, hour or so as to what's been going on there or any increased activities from the initial reports. Uh, but, Mike, any any thoughts on the current conflict of Israel versus Iran via Syria? Well, sure. We know from Bible prophecy that Israel will be invaded by a nation from the north, and all likelihood that will be Russia. And so when we see them becoming allies with um, some of the Muslim nations there, it makes sense that uh, this could possibly be a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. 
again, we don't know the timing involved in this. Uh, the Lord could tarry, but uh, it's looking more and more like we are in the season of the Lord's return. It seems like, um, I don't know, at the turn of the millennium, I was saying, I don't see how the world could get any worse, and yet it continues to spin out of control, and there's more depravity than ever before. Satan has got a, a great grip. He is the prince of the world, and I think he's doing everything he can to hold people captive to do his will, and the best way to do that is to keep people out of the Bible because he knows the truth will set people free from any kind of religious deception. And that's why, you know, with the stage set for the end-time events, more than ever, I think we need to be pointing people to the prophetic word. That is one of the reasons why I picked up the Bible for the first time when someone told me that it predicted future events. You know, everybody would like to know the future, and here we have a book that foretells what will take place. And so it's a great opportunity to sit down with people and to begin sharing these great prophecies that have been fulfilled. One of the great questions we can ask people is when we recognize who were the people that penned the Word of God, we know the Holy Spirit was the direct author, but he used 40 different men over a period of 1,500 years to put together the 66 books that we call the Scriptures. And the question we can ask people is how can ancient fishermen and shepherds and kings consistently without error describe all the prophetic events that we're seeing unfold today. The only answer to that is they were inspired by the Sovereign Lord who spoke through them as they penned his word to the papyrus. And so more than ever, I think we can encourage people to open the Bible and conduct Bible studies. We actually do neighborhood Bible studies in our neighborhood, and I encourage all of your listeners to do that. It's a great way to get to know your neighbors and to bond with them. Yes, it is, and and there's uh, we talk about this a lot about the importance for people to come out of the churches that they're in if their churches are you know accepting uh, the the sinful behaviors and practices and even practicing them. And but either way, it's important for people to get engaged on uh, at the most basic and, and local level. And whether it's having friends over in your house or, or fellow congregants of your church, to do those uh, just even once a week for a half hour, hour, uh, you'd be amazed at what can happen and the information you can learn uh, just over a period of a few weeks. And that, that fellowship is uh, something that is irreplaceable. But we don't see that, it, for whatever reason, with the increase of technology and information and understanding, people have become more isolated in the community, in the churches, and I don't know why that is, but, um, you know, we, we don't seem to see a, a reversal of that. So people have to do what they can to get involved and to, you know, have that more community-type atmosphere and uh, that fellowship that we are lacking so much today. Yeah, Joe, I'm glad you brought that up. And oftentimes, um, you know, we focus on the Roman Catholic Church and its false teaching and its false teachers, but you brought up a good point. There are many apostate Protestant churches as well. They're apostate Protestant denominations. So this isn't an issue of Protestant versus Catholicism. This is an issue of what does the Word of God say, and we use that to test the veracity of any man's teaching, but we also look at it to test whether or not the church that a person is going to is the true church of Jesus Christ. There are many who are being deceived by a false Christ in Protestant churches as well. 
there are some who will call him Savior but reject him as Lord. And many Protestant churches are teaching that, that you can be saved apart from submitting to the Lordship of Christ. And so we have to be careful what church we are attending. Do they have a high view of Scripture? Do they have a high view of God? Are they exegeting the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and teaching the whole counsel of God? If not, then people aren't able to discern truth from error. So often today, I think many pastors are trying to entertain the goat rather than feeding the sheep. And so when truth is not being preached faithfully from the pulpit, then people in the pews aren't getting truth. And if you're not getting truth, then you can't discern what is false. So there are many professing Christians who have never been born again because they've been evangelized with unbiblical methods or their ears have been tickled into believing that just because they go to a church that they're part of God's family. So I'm glad you brought that up. We need to recognize that both the Catholic Church and many Protestant churches represent a huge mission field that need to hear the gospel of Christ as well. Indeed they do. Uh, for those just joining us, our guest is Mike Gendron. Go to uh, proclaimingthegospel.org and uh, just to supplement what uh, Mike was just sharing with all of us, uh, the first article, if you click on resources, uh, you, you can go to articles or you can go to the newsletter. I definitely recommend you sign up for the newsletter, and we're going to jump over to that here momentarily. But the first article that comes up, ABCs of Effective Witnessing to Catholics. And I would really encourage our listeners and viewers to utilize this as a jump point because it is replete with scripture and all of it is beautifully linked so rather than uh, fashioning a potential uh, discussion with a Catholic friend or family member from a place of personal opinion you can fashion the conversation from the inerrant word of God and so uh, so Mike uh, a tip of my hat to you uh, again for the first article listed under articles at proclaimingthegospel.org ABCs of effective witnessing to Catholics but I also mentioned uh, that uh, our listeners and viewers should by all means sign up for your newsletter because it's a it's a beautiful, brilliant tool, and and that's how this uh, current dialogue uh, between the Hagman Report and our guest Mike Gendron began. And so, what I'd like to do for the remaining time we have with you, Mike, is jump over to uh, your most recent piece from the newsletter. And by the way, uh, listeners and viewers, that newsletter is free. Uh, Common bonds between Islam and Catholicism. And, uh, of course, you've got, uh, this is beautifully mapped out, Mike, and that being said, uh, what, what better thing to do than hand it back to the gentleman who wrote it? Well, sure. But before we do, I think the, the number one common bond, and this is where my heart is, both religions represent huge mission fields. We have a population on the earth now of 7 billion people. And these two religions combined represent about 3 billion people. That represents 40% of the Earth's population, a huge mission field. And one of the resources that we offer is a book that I've written called Preparing for Eternity. And that's what everyone needs to do. They need to prepare for eternity. Because when they meet their Creator face-to-face, He will either be their glorified Savior or a sin-avenging judge. And I hate to think of anyone meeting the Lord Jesus at the great white throne judgment, especially those who think they're Christians but have never been born again, to hear the most terrifying words anyone could ever hear, depart from me, I never knew you. 
And this was the rebuke Jesus gave in Matthew 7, that many would call him Lord, Lord, and do many things in his name. But then they will hear those terrifying words. And so more than ever, we need to encourage people to prepare for eternity. This book that I've written is rich with Scripture because Scripture is what's going to be the seed that brings forth life. Scripture is also used as an offensive weapon to slay the lies of the devil. And so it slays the lies of any false religion. And ultimately, those who believe the truth will no longer be deceived. They'll be set free from religious deception. So, John, thank you for sharing or giving me the opportunity because that is the most important common bond. It represents a huge mission field. But the other interesting that common bond that I think plays off of that is both religions have a works righteousness salvation. In other words, both religions teach that you must do things in order to appease a holy and righteous God. And both religions are no different than any other religion in the world because biblical Christianity is set apart from all the works righteousness religions. Biblical Christianity says that Jesus Christ did everything necessary to save sinners completely and forever. Therefore, salvation is offered as a free gift of God's grace. But every religion in the world stands opposed to biblical Christianity. Roman Catholicism and Islam are the largest ones that teach a works righteousness salvation. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, in Roman Catholicism, the Jesus of the Catholic Church merely opened the gates of heaven. Jesus doesn't save Catholics. They have to do their part to get through those gates. And so a Catholic must be baptized. They must receive the sacraments. They must do good works. They must attend the weekly sacrifice of the Mass. They must obey the law. And on and on and on. All these requirements have been added to the pure and simple gospel of grace. And so we see a warning given to anybody that would pervert the gospel in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, Paul says, If anyone, even an angel from heaven, should come preaching a gospel other than the one we preached, let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. Let them be turned over to God for destruction. So the Roman Catholic clergy is under the condemnation of a holy God for perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's why we all need to go on a rescue mission to reach into the Catholic Church and present the gospel of grace to Roman Catholics. It is the greatest news they will ever hear because it speaks of the greatest gift they could ever receive, and that is eternal life. Because Roman Catholics have a works righteousness salvation, they don't have eternal life. Their life is conditional. Whether or not they get to heaven depends on them rather than on what Christ has done. So Islam is the same way. They have a works righteousness salvation, and at the end, they will have a mediator named Muhammad that will lay before the false god Allah, and he will intercede for them. And they have a divine scale, Muslims do, and they hope that Allah will look at the divine scale and they'll see more good works than bad works, and then Muhammad will petition on their behalf to allow them into heaven. Both of these are false gospels. Both of these are under the condemnation of Galatians 1, 6 to 9. 
So, John, that's a common bond that we must all recognize, whether or not we're witnessing the Muslims or Catholics or Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, Buddhists, Hindus. They all try to do things to appease a holy and righteous God. And that's why the gospel is such good news. It, it preaches grace because Jesus did everything to save sinners. Amen to that, Mike. And following uh, that up, I'm going to go to another point on your, another few points on your uh, list here. And th- this is one thing I, uh, I guess I understand, but maybe you could use some clarification on. You talk about the both embrace another Jesus, and you also talk both esteem and honor Mary, and both seek messages from apparitions of Mary. Now I understand the purposes of, uh, you know, putting out the false Jesus, but. What, uh, you know, when we look at the, how does this Mary worship play into this uh, merger in this end time scenario? Well, I'm really glad you asked, Joe, because I really believe, based on what I see in the events taking place in the world today, that Mary will be the catalyst that will bring these two religions together. And I'm not speaking of Mary of the Bible. I'm speaking of a counterfeit Mary. Remember, Satan is the master counterfeiter. He's created a counterfeit Christ, counterfeit apostles, counterfeit Marys, on and on and on. But Mary is the only woman in the Quran, and she's mentioned more in the Quran than she is in the Bible. She is the model for all Muslims because of her submission to God. And that's what Islam is all about, submission, submission to Allah. So Mary is said to be the mother of all humanity, and she is venerated as a pure and holy saint in both religions. And so I think you can see that this would be the catalyst. This would be the unifying effect if Mary were to appear and call both religions together. And so with that in mind, we have many apparitions of Mary that have been appearing more and more frequently. Pope Francis recently came out and said that Mary is the mother of forgiveness for all people. Again, this goes against the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, showing once again that he has the spirit of Antichrist, because Jesus said, Repentance shall be preached in my name for the forgiveness of sins, and that's Luke 24:47. So for the Pope to say that Mary became for all people the mother of forgiveness at the cross, that is again a lie of the devil, and ultimately, those who believe that are deceived. But when he says that, then Muslims get excited that maybe Mary will be the source of forgiveness for them. But Muslims and Catholics are flocking to apparition sites to receive messages from another Mary. And I'm just wondering, knowing that the Bible says that lying signs and wonders will be used by the devil in the end times to deceive the world, if this might be the very lying sign that the devil will use to unite these two religions. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, we read the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So there you have it. Parition is a false sign and wonder that presents another Mary that's giving a false message. We also see in Mark 13:22. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So we see these apparitions of Mary appearing more and more frequently. And I'd just like to share a couple of messages that have recently been given. 
by an apparition of Mary. This one appeared at Fatima, a city in Portugal named after Muhammad's first daughter. This apparition says, If the world will convert to my immaculate heart, I will bring peace and give the world salvation. And then another apparition said, Muslims, Orthodox, and Catholics are equal before my son and I. You are all my children, and I'm giving you a piece of heaven. Doesn't this apparition of Mary sound like Pope Francis? You are all my children. I am giving you a piece of heaven. Because after all, the Pope has denied hell, and he said all people are children of God. So these apparitions are lying signs and wonders, and we need to recognize that there are warnings in Scripture. In Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Paul writes, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So once again, I think the whole issue of Mary is a unifying effect, and the apparitions, I think, may be the final catalyst that will bring these two religions together. The Pope is not going to let doctrine divide and I think he's going to suppress it. You've, John, you've made some statements about what the Pope has recently said. You can see he's all about unification. He's not about division. He knows that doctrine divides. And so what he's doing is what's recorded in Romans 1.18. They're suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness, all for the sake of unity, all to build this global church that will one day worship the Antichrist. And it is, uh, it's very eye-opening. And again, on, uh, Mike's website, proclaimingthegospel.org, under the article section, there is one titled, uh, where is it? Mary, another Mary, quite contrary. And that has a lot of the information that, uh, Mike was just talking about that is so important. And as you said, it is not the, it's not Mary of scripture that is, the Catholicism is worshiping. It is a, a separate, uh, Mary that they have uh, created out of twisting scripture and uh, adding things to it. So it's important that we make those distinctions. We only have about five minutes left. I want to ask you this. What do you think the Christian church, uh, about the Christian church and the censorship? We've seen, you know, all the things happen from, uh, schools throwing out God's word and prayer and now the universities and others really coming against, uh, Christianity in a big way. But how do you see the, uh, the church moving forward in this age of censorship where social media and others are, are uh, labeling Christians as, as hate groups and uh, putting as much of their content uh, out of sight as they can? Well, that's a good question, and only time will tell, but it could be that we may be the persecuted church of the second and third century. The true church may have to go underground and continue to proclaim the gospel whenever we can but um, you're right the government is really cracking down on Christianity and I think uh, what's happening in California is a precursor to many of the other states in America but we were told by the Lord Jesus that the world will persecute us because we follow Christ they persecuted him and so I think we need to be ready for any persecution that comes our way and I think one of the good things about this Joe, is that it will really determine and define who the true Christians are because a born-again Christian that has been 
purchased by the blood of Christ, will continue to serve his master, the Lord Jesus, and be a faithful ambassador to the King of Kings. And those who are professing Christians who have never been born again, I think they're the first ones that will run when there's persecution. And so it could be a purifying effect. I know the Lord is preparing his bride for the rapture of the church, and a lot of pretenders and wannabe Christians are falling away into apostasy. And so this could be a good thing. I think it's also good to know that as much as this world is spinning out of control and the coming persecution we're seeing on the church, the great apostasy that we see unfolding before our eyes, this could be quite discouraging for born-again Christians until we realize the Lord Jesus said these things must take place before he comes. So let that be an encouragement for all Christians that Keep being faithful to the Great Commission. Keep contending earnestly for the faith in spite of any persecution because the ultimate battle is a battle between God's truth and Satan's lies. And what's at stake are the eternal destiny of souls. That's where the battle rages. Satan wants to hold on to them, keeping people out of the Bible. And we need to get people into the Bible so the truth can set them free from the bondage of religious deception. So that's what our ministry is about, and um, we've been doing this 28 years. It is definitely a labor of love. We love sharing the gospel. We love seeing those who are dead in their sin come alive in Christ. We also love equipping and encouraging the body of Christ to be faithful witnesses, and that's why we provide so many resources for that purpose. And I thank radio ministries like yours to have the opportunity to come on for that purpose of encouraging and equipping the saints all over the world. So thank you for this great privilege. Well, thanks for taking the time out to, to come on and uh, talk to us. And I want to, John pointed this out to me. You have a number of events on your website upcoming. You have a, a convention in South Bend, Indiana. You have a Reformation tour in Scotland and conferences after that. Um, anything you want to promote, uh, before we uh, go in the last, we have one more minute left, Mike. Yeah, I would just encourage um, your listeners to get a copy of our newsletter because that's where we publish all of our upcoming events. The conference in South Bend, Indiana, is uh, a huge conference of lots of pastors and church leaders. And, of course, while I'm in South Bend, I will be going out and evangelizing Roman Catholics at Notre Dame. But any... Um, up any opportunities anybody has to invite me into your church or to your conference um, we walk through the doors the Lord is open so we would uh, definitely welcome a phone call if anybody is interested in having us in so keep looking up our redemption is nigh and keep proclaiming the gospel and setting souls free from the bondage of religion Amen Mike Gendron thank you so much for joining us uh, again go to his website and uh, get as much information as you can. There's tons of content there. As I mentioned earlier in the last hour, the Red Pill Expo coming up June 21st through the 23rd in Spokane, Washington this year. This is uh, such a huge event. Go to redpillexpo.org. Use the promo code, which is Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, to get 15% off. And any orders that come in through na- from now till the end of May will get the DVD set from 2017. $125 value, 19 hours over uh, 10 discs. So that is there uh, for your offer as well. 
15% off of the tickets and the DVD set, redpillexpo.org, promo code Hagman. We'll be right back with Pastor David Langford right after this. Each and every Wednesday in Hour 3, we are joined by our favorite pastor, Pastor David Langford, from The Voice of Evangelism. And you can go to his website, you can check out his show that he has on Blog Talk Radio, or listen to him here on The Hagman Report each Wednesday in Hour 3. Pastor Langford, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you guys tonight. It's great to have you. John is sitting with me. Um, my dad's doing work in the my dad's doing work in the office over there, and he, he can't be with us tonight. So John's sitting in, and uh, myself. And where, where do you want to start tonight? We have, um, you know, not, not seeing any retaliation updates. I have not yet from Israel. We have these uh, uh, this conflict that is ongoing over there, um, but we can talk about that or anything else you want to get into. Well, we'll we'll address that here at the beginning, but we'll, I'm going to go a little bit different after a moment here. But you know. This is what Jesus warned us about in Matthew 24 and 6. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. You know, we've got uh, the war in Psalms 89. It is a ten confederate nations. Some believe that could possibly be the ten kings of uh, Revelation 17. Um there's going to be something happen to set the stage for the rising of the Antichrist. Uh, I have believed for, for 25 years there will be a third world war. Albert Pike affirmed that. Uh, and in the third world war, he would have the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslim Muslims fighting each other. John Paul, after Yigshat Rabin was assassinated, said Jerusalem must become an internationalized city. I find it amazing the usurpation the Catholic Church has in regards to the nation of Israel. And all of these things are going to come to pass, and that's, I was listening a little bit to your previous uh, guest, Um, there's, there's a feminine side that is arising to replace the church, the body of Christ. Uh, I know a lot of people use the phrase bride. Nowhere in the Bible is the church ever referred to in a feminine gender. It's masculine. We are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. We are baptized into his body, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. So what does Satan do? He deceives us in Revelation 17, 18, uh, by the mother of harlots, this, this woman. And she's, she's a whore. Uh, Mystery Babylon is written over her name. Uh, she's a harlot. She has drunk the blood of the saints. Uh, she has fornicated with everyone virtually. And this is the substitutionary church that's going to be presented to the people here in the end. And there's a grave danger. Uh, if, if people are not in the Word of God, the more I read my Bible, the more I don't know. 
the more I study the scriptures, the more I understand I need to keep pressing in and studying the scriptures. Jesus said it like this in John five thirty nine. He said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Everything that we read in the scriptures evolves around Jesus. Every word, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became that incarnate word, and he's the manifestation of God. And he is what everything is about. When you go back even to the Old Testament, and every implement, every instrument in the Old Testament tabernacle spoke of Jesus Christ. The, the brazen altar, uh, the animal was sacrificed, shedding of blood. That's what happened to Christ on the cross. His blood was shed. Uh, underneath the altar, you had the fire uh, to consume the sacrifice. That typifies Pentecost, Acts 2, 1. And when the death Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Then you go to the next implement would be the polished labor, which was full of water. And the priest would go to that labor, and they would wash their hands. They would rid themselves of the blood of that animal. But that is symbolic of God's word, which, of course, is Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 26 says that they might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. So the water is a type of the Word of God to cleanse us. Then you go into the holy place, and you have the menorah, the lampstand, the seven golden candlesticks. Uh, they, are, they are a type of Christ. Uh, Jesus said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Then on the right side you had the table of showbread. The priest would fix 12 uh, loaves of bread, and those loaves were pierced and riddled and perforated. That was a type of Jesus when he would be crucified. His body would be broken. The Last Supper, he took and broke the bread. Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. When Jesus broke the bread, he was symbolizing, this is my body. Uh, and then, of course, those that bread in the temple there was a type of Jesus. Jesus said in John uh, 6 and 48, I am the bread of life. And then b before uh, the high priest could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, there was an altar of incense. That's a type of worshiping Jesus Christ, where we, the believer, we worship. Our worship is to be a sweet-smelling Savior under the nostrils of God. Uh, it's supposed to be like an aroma. It goes up before the throne of God. One of the great things that is lacking in the church today is worship. Worship. You know, people have church, but they're doing exactly what Paul said they would do in Second Timothy 3, 5. He said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. These people go to church. They're, they're, they're merely religious. Uh, it's it's a it's a religious act. When we go to church, we're, we're we go for one purpose: to worship Jesus, to meet Him in spirit. Jesus told the woman at the well in John four twenty two. He said, "Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers 
shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Everyone listening tonight has a spirit. Your spirit can be angry. Your spirit can be generous. Uh, your spirit can be forgiving. Uh, your spirit can be unforgiving. The, the spirit of man is, is the emotional part, and it's manifest, of course, then through the flesh. My flesh does nothing except my spirit gives consent. And if I want a glass of milk, I, that thought is in my mind and my spirit, and I get it physically, and I, and I go get that. And so Jesus is trying to tell the woman, if you're going to worship God, you're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. But see, like her, Jesus said, ye worship, ye know not what. You don't have a clue what you're worshiping. And the reason he was telling her that is because they were heathens, pagans, Samaritans. Uh, mongrel is the actual word for the Samaritans. They were mongrel. They were mixed bread. And he says, you, you, you have no idea uh, who you're worshiping. Because she says to him, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Well, why would she say Jerusalem? Because that's where the tabernacle was. And that's where men would go to worship God. Because there's only one true and living God, as your previous guest was, was speaking about that. You, you have so many facets, but there's only one God, and that's, that's Jesus, the Lord's Christ. That, 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 that's who he is. And so people go to church, and, you know, as a pastor, having pastored for 27 years, I was always concerned when I didn't see a manifestation of God's Spirit in the church. Jesus says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. This is, this is totally in opposition to the carnal, natural man. He, he can't get off the starting blocks because he continues to live and walk in the flesh. We have to get in the spirit. And Jesus said, if you're going to worship the Father, you're going to worship him and in spirit and in truth. You know, some churches have fanaticism, and they would call that spirit, but then they have no truth. And then you have churches who have truth, but then you have no spirit. The spirit is an is a, is a, is a indication there is life. There's, there's something there. When the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost, there was a power, there was a force, there was a manifestation of God's Spirit in that upper room. And it came, in Acts 2 it says, as of a rushing mighty wind. Uh, most of you have never been in a church service where there was anything of that nature as of a rushing mighty wind. I was preaching years ago, and my faith as I was preaching was so peaked. I, I told one of my council members, I said, go back there to the back and open the doors. I'm believing the Spirit of God to come through those doors now. And my wife was there. I mean, there was all kinds of people there. But when he went back there and he opened those doors, the play, the sanctuary suddenly changed. I mean, the power of God came in that place. 
You know, some people don't believe in the power of God. They don't believe in a, in a, in a spirit of God. But Jesus was emphatic. He said, God is a spirit, and if you're going to worship him, you must do it in the spirit. Because, you see, this is why the devil always appeals to our flesh. Man, if he can get into our flesh, he gets us into bondage. He gets us into captivity. He gets us into depression. He gets us chained and shackled by drugs and by alcohol and all of these things. Why? Because he's identifying with your flesh. And, 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 and God does the exact opposite. He wants to identify with your spirit. And thus Jesus said, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the world is raveling, it's unraveling, it's coming apart at the seams. And there's fear, there's, there's consternation, uh, there's timidity, anxiety, uh, you know, and, and, and if people don't start getting into the presence of God, they're going to be like the chaff. The wind will drive the chaff away. And, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu was just in Russia, and he's probably telling Putin, you know, you, you, you better stand down because we're going to deal with Iran. And so I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I know which war this will be if there is one, but this world is getting prepared for great distress, distress of nations, Jesus said, with perplexity. And, and when you're perplexed, that word means you don't have any way out. Or you have two choices, and neither choice is good. So that's what it means to be perplexed. You just don't know what to do. I had a gentleman call the other day and left a message on my answering machine. His girlfriend had went to Florida to attend her grandfather's funeral. While she was there, she had a, a, a an affair with her old boyfriend. And he called me and left a message and pled with me, phone me and tell me what I need to do. And I thought, if I call him, I'm going to make matters worse. Because if she's sleeping with her old boyfriend, she's sleeping with him. And he wants God to lead him when he's living in that manner of lifestyle. You know, this, this is why it is so important to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom of God but he that doeth the will of my father do you think it's the father's will to fornicate to commit adultery to get drunk snort cocaine and stuff like that no that 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 that's 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 what satan is stoking in people's lives and I, and I've said it before joe and john I'll say it again if you don't pray and read your Bible, you're not going to make it. I mean, you just can't snap your fingers and get out of the crisis. It's, it's called devotion. It's called discipleship. It's called commitment. It's called dedication. It's called consecration. You know, people think, I'm, I'm, you know, I got something extra, something special. I'm just like any other man listening to this program tonight. I 
have the same feelings, the same emotions, uh, may have a, 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 a temperament problem at times, uh, frustrated at times, aggravated at times, things break, you know, you're trying to do something and it goes awry and your, your day is shot. Uh, having raised four children, the difficulties in raising children, I, I don't have anything but God to help me get through these crises. And yet somehow people think, you know, Pastor Langford's got something extra. Everything that I have, you can have, because God is no respecter of persons. But it's a choice. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you more thirsty for the world than for prayer time with God? Are you more interested in knowing all the ball game scores and, and what's going on in the world and, uh, you know, the awards that they give on television? Yeah, I, don't, I don't watch any of that junk. You, you know, it doesn't appeal to me because everything I see, for the most part, on television evolves around carnality. What was this uh, event they had the other day, Joe, all these uh, uh, Hollywood people dressing up in Catholicism, robes and garb? The Met Gala, and that's something we were talking about just today as it is found out that the Vatican agreed to not only uh, that theme, but also the Cardinal Timothy Dolan loaned a Pope hat to Rihanna, one of the people who dressed as, a po- as the Pope. Yes, and in fact, uh, Pastor Langford, and welcome, by the way, it's good to be with you again, sir. Uh, the uh, title of this evening's show is Met Gala 2018, Heavenly Bodies, Hellish Souls. Now, Heavenly Bodies is there in quotes, Pastor Langford, because that was the name of the event. And uh, to, to take a look at Galatians chapter 5, it was a direct mockery of God, no doubt about it. Yeah, because those bodies are not heavenly, they're corrupt bodies. And to think that here's here's is that spirit, that cardinal, that is whorish. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, giving her that mitre or whatever whatever it's called, that is that's the spirit of harlotry. If 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 if, if that was supposed to be a, an implement instrument in Catholicism. If it was if it was real, it would be dedicated, it would be consecrated, it would be separated for God. Everything in that Old Testament tabernacle had to be anointed and set apart for God. And see, that's the spirit of a whore. The harlotry there. He doesn't mind giving it to somebody who doesn't even profess to know Jesus Christ as Lord. And that was that was one of Israel's greatest problems was whoredom, whoredom. Jeremiah 3, 3, he said, Therefore the showers have been withholden, there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead, and thou refusest to be ashamed. You know, if, if that man calls himself a man of God, he needs to be ashamed, because he desecrated purportedly the holy things of God, which I have no uh, faith or anything in, in Catholicism by no means. Um, I have the Bible. I have the truth. I see these these things. Uh, but this is what we mentioned about in Revelation 17 and chapter 18 both. She's the mother of harlots. And, and regretfully, we have a lot of Protestant daughters who have compromised and joined hands. And, you know, Ratzinger said, you know, the, 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 the Catholic Church will never be the nothing but the mother church. She'll never be a daughter. 
She'll always be the mother church. And when you see these things, you hear these things, you know this is the substitutionary church. And regretfully, a lot of people fall for that. They fall for that. And when we know, we know uh, in Catholicism, when they sanctify that wine, I don't use wine in communion, I use grape juice. Uh, but when they use that wine and they sanctify it for communion, they can't throw it away because it's purportedly tr- uh, transubstantiation. It is, literally becomes his blood. So what do they do? They drink it. But if I understand alcohol and I've drank my share of it, it's got what we call fermentation, bacteria, rot, decay. That, that's the process. Well, you, you expect me to believe that Jesus' blood was, you know, had bacteria, rot, decay, fermentation? No. No. As a matter of fact, um, after the communion with the disciples, he makes a very profound statement in Matthew twenty six twenty nine. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I want you to notice the terminology there, fruit of the vine, the literal grape, the cluster. Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 65 and 8, calls the grape, the cluster, wine while it's still in the cluster. It's, it's called wine while it's there. That's just a, just a common terminology back in, in that day. But I believe when Jesus had communion, it was not fermented. I believe with all of my heart, this is my personal opinion, it was grape juice. And that's why at the marriage supper of Cana, the governor said, you've kept the best till the last. Well, everyone listening to me tonight that knows anything about drinking, after you get well drunk, you'll drink anything. But he understood Jesus didn't bring the rot gut out at the end of the wedding. He said, you, you've kept the best till the last. And I believe it was sweet grape juice because that's, it didn't have a chance to ferment. He turned the water into wine. I don't believe he turned it into something that was fermented. And there'll be those that would argue that point. But when he said, I will drink henceforth no more of the fruit of the vine... He's telling us something there, because that if it's still on the vine, it hasn't had a chance to become fermented in any capacity. Um, it's, it's Isaiah 65 and 8, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. So it's called wine while it's still in the cluster. And so, what, what, in, in Jeremiah, she holds up this cup, you know, and, and, and we, we know a lot of them um, have the chalice, a silver chalice that they, that they drink from. Um, there's a lot of things that we sometimes, we, we don't see through it as clearly as we should see. Now... There in Revelation 18 and 3 says, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now that's mystery, Babylon. Then we have the mother, the mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots in, in Revelation 17. But my point is, notice the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So, let's face it, let's be realistic. When people begin to drink and become inebriated, they lose their inhibitions. They become looser and looser, and then they do things they would not normally do. Why? Because they are drunk. Well, Revelation 17, 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Now, spiritual fornication is when you are departing from the faith and you're messing around with false doctrine. You're dabbling in a realm, you're dabbling in a place that is full of falsehood and full of fallacy. And, you know, when you, when you, when you get inebriated or you get high, you lose something. You lose a touch of reality. You, you get into another state of mind, another place. And, of course, Revelation 9, 21 says, She repented not of her murders, her thefts, her sorcery. And uh, that word sorcery there in the Greek, of course, is pharmakia. So we, we have both in the end time. We have profuse drunkenness, and we have overkill and narcotics and pharmaceutical drugs. It, I mean, it, it's literally off the chart. And Jesus uh, said to us in Luke 21, he, he, there again, it, it's, it's a subtle statement that if you're not careful, you won't, you, won't, you won't realize what's being said. But he says in Luke 21, 34, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Well, surfeiting in the Greek simply means overeating, overindulgence. But then it says drunkenness, and the third, of course, is the cares of this life. This is the place, the position, the posture that Satan wants to get every one of us in a place where we, number one, our hearts are overcharged. If something is overcharged uh, electrically, it's going to burn up. It's, if it's a battery, alternator, whatever, it, it, it will burn up. And, and people are going to burn up because of surfeiting, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And so the coming of Christ comes and catches them unawares. But Jesus prefaced that verse here, Luke twenty-one thirty-four. The f first phrase is, and take heed to yourselves. He doesn't tell me to look at John. He doesn't tell me to look at Doug or Joe. He tells me to look at me. Look at my life. Look at where I am. You know, so many people there are, are quick to judge, and they judge for the sake of justifying their evil deeds. So, you know, one guy steals, 
another guy lies. He said, well, yeah, I stole it, but so-and-so, he lies. So it's self-justification, self-adjudication that, hey, everybody's doing wrong stuff. So what difference does it make? Well, the truth is there are people who live right. They don't cheat. They don't lie. They don't steal. Uh, they're peaceful. They're, they're tranquil. They don't want confrontation. There are people, a spirit, a spirit of confrontation inhabits them. And they're, they're contentious. They, they walk into a room and the whole atmosphere has totally changed. The discord, the clamor, the evil speaking, the contention, the strife. They just, why? That spirit has taken a stronghold in their lives, and wherever they go, that's the ultimate outcome. That's the outcome. I was, uh, I had done a funeral some time ago, and I was invited back to the house where the family was, and that's fundamentally customary in doing funerals, especially here in the South, and usually you have a dinner. Well, I went back to the, the house with the family, and a rather rather large family. And man, they broke out the liquor, and they broke out the wine, and they started, and my wife and I were sitting at the table, and I looked at her, I said, this will not end well. Well, how would I know that? Well, guess what? I've been there and done that. But I could see the consumption. I mean, we're talking about people drinking 16-ounce glasses of wine in three to five minutes. I mean, they're chugging it down, and they're drinking liquor. And lo and behold, in about an hour, two of the biggest guys in there get into it. And, and I knew in my heart, because those spirits, they get energized, and something in the atmosphere changes. And, and here you go. And it, it was the most cynical argument and confrontation, which it always is. It's stupid. You know, and then the next day, of course, they're embarrassed and they're humiliated. They're ashamed. But at the point in time, they don't feel like that. Well, Satan wants us in this mode and lifestyle. You know, he wants us in this mindset. And, you know, I, I understand people are hurting today. People are broken. Uh, people, we hear the term dysfunctional. Uh, we hear the term drama. We hear all sorts of terminology for what's going on in people's lives. But you see, this is the state and the place Satan has gotten them and taken them, and his ultimate goal is utter and total destruction. And God does not want that for us. And yes, it takes discipline. It takes discipleship to say, you know what? I'm not going. I, I'm, I'm not going to participate. Because uh, you know in your heart... What will happen if you end up there? You, you know, if you go, it's not going to be good at the end. But see, this is where deception slowly but, but certainly creeps in, and people start believing, I can handle it. I, I, I can go and I can maintain and, and not get out of my, my lane. I'll, I'll stay in my lane. But that, it doesn't happen like that. Satan is setting up all of us. Every one of us is trying to set us up for a great fall. I've, I've often said this. If any man or any woman that's had a great 
fall in their lives, if they had seen that, for, had foreknowledge of that, there's no way they would have suffered themselves to do that. If you don't think people get deceived, look at the Attorney General for New York, the state of New York. That is a man that says, he said, I am the law. That is a spirit. That is a spirit that dictates his life. And he believes he is the utter, absolute authority and piles on and castigates and criticizes and impinges all these other people. And then he gets caught. Why? Because the devil is setting him up. We, we don't understand sometimes the manipulation, uh, the coercion, the things that Satan uses to set us up for a great fall. This is why Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Nobody enjoys being taken advantage of. Especially when the light goes off and you realize, man, they set me up to do this to me. They intentionally took me down this path to strip me, to rob me, to deceive me, to dupe me, to get me in this, you know, Bitcoin or whatever it is, and you, you lose all your money. It was a ploy. It was a means. And when, when the light goes off, you get angry. Because you say within yourself, I'm smarter than this. How did I fall for this? Why did I, why did I take the, the uh, bait? Why, why did I do that? And you're hard on yourself because you went for it. Well, this is what Satan does. He sets, or he tries to set every one of us up for a great fall. A, 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 a fall that is uh, irreparable. And... This is why you, you can't play with God. You, you can't toy with your salvation. You can't play games. You must be committed, you know, in, in, especially in, in sports. Athletes, you know, they want you committed. You know, they want you to be there for every practice. They want you to be there for every meeting. Why? They want to win. They want to succeed. Well, Satan is the same way in the sense of seeking our demise. He's, he's, and he has 6,000 years of human experience interacting with human beings to see when he does something, how do they respond? How do they react? What do they do when he does this? When he does that, what do they do? Because just like with Jesus, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That is very significant. So, so the best the devil could show Jesus, it didn't take him but a moment to show it to him. That's what, the, that's what the Bible says in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke. Now, you think about that statement I just made there. The devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, it says, the glory of them. And he did it, bam, in a moment of time. And he said, I'll give this to you. Luke 4, verse 5 and 6, and the devil taking him up. And to a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. Satan will give you anything to damn your soul. And he'll put that thought in your heart. If I had this, if I had her, if I had him... 
if I had that job, if I had that platform, oh, I would be so happy. That's the deception. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. He has an advantage because you can't see unless you have discernment. You can't see what he's doing. When I was a single man, I had a dream. And this dream was very, very concerning, very, very convicting. But when I woke up, I couldn't remember the dream. I felt like Nebuchadnezzar. I, I, I knew it was important. I knew it was significant. I, I hadn't been back with the Lord very long. But when the situation presented itself, I was living out the dream. It, it, it was like an open, walking vision. And the lady comes up to me. I was working at a, at, a, at, a, at a parts place and says, my car is having trouble starting. Would you be willing to come by and start the car, da-da-da? And when she's talking to me, it, it's like a dream. It's a vision. I'm saying, this was what I dreamed. God gave me insight before the situation ever came to fruition so I could recognize it for what it was. He was setting me up, but God was gracious and gave me the insight. Now, as I said, when I awakened, I could not remember the dream, and I was perplexed. But what that did, having the dream and then not when I woke, I, I didn't know what the dream was. I couldn't remember anything about it. it what it did, it kept me very sober. So I, I hadn't been back with the Lord but about a year or so. And so the devil, see, was, was setting a trap. He was setting a snare. He was setting me up. And then when the the lady approached me, et cetera, et cetera, I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. And I knew what I was going to have to do. No, I, I, I can't do that. You know, and, of course, her, you know, why, why can't you help me? You know, but it was a setup. And, and I was so humbled. That, that God would give me the the revelation, the insight before it ever came to fruition, and then, like I said, I could not remember anything, no detail, no nothing, but, but not knowing kept me so sober because I, it's like I was walking and watching everywhere I, I stepped. You know, I knew I had to be careful, but I didn't know careful for what. But then, when it came to fruition, when when it it came to real life, like I was living in this movie, this 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 action event. I said, "This is it. This this is this is what God let me dream, and it preserved me. It kept me. Why? Because I wanted to be kept. You see, when you have the right kind of love toward Christ in your heart, you want to be preserved. You want to be kept. I I got a." I emailed this week from a guy who's had a problem with pornography and been doing good, been doing great. And in the email he says, but either they hired a new lady and he said she was voluptuous. And that lady, her mere appearance and presence made him go back and look at pornography. And he, he was so condemned. He beat himself up, beat himself down, said he, you know, he felt so filthy, so unworthy. But this is why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because I'm telling you, 
the devil will, will, will plant a seed so seemingly insignificant. And if you're not careful, you think you can nurture it, play with it, whatever the case might be, embrace it, and, and not get bit. Uh, reminds me of the poem, <laughs> as I'm telling that, uh, Donald Trump read while campaigning about the snake. You know, the, the lady picked up the snake. The snake was nearly frozen. She brought the snake into her home, nurtured the snake, got the snake warm, and finally bit the woman. And she, you know, why did you do this to me? That's who I am, he said. That's what I do. I, I, I bite people and I put venom in their blood and I kill them. You knew that when you took me in. I'm a serpent. This is where deception comes in because some people will, will embrace something and they know right then and there, I shouldn't be doing this. I, I shouldn't even be here much less doing this, accepting this invitation. Uh, this, this is why it's called temptation. You know, Satan will give you just enough, just enough to get your attention and lure you in. Because you know, if he overdoses you, you're going to know that. So he, he baits you just, just enough, and you think you can handle it. That's, that's the deception. I, you know, I, I can... I can go there. I, I, I won't err. I won't stray. But Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians four twenty-seven, neither give place to the devil nor let the sun go down upon your wrath. You cannot give Satan any place. If if you have a a table in your living room, uh, your family room, wherever, uh, and you know you got things on it, and you want to put a flower vase or something on it and there's not room to put it on the table you have to make room for it you have to make a place for it you know in our garages we are renowned for making a place for more junk well Satan wants to bring something into your life your initial response your initial thought is I don't need that but then the temptation brings you into a state of saying well even though I don't need it, I'll probably not do it, but you still make place for it. You make room for it. And once you do that, you're already headed down the slippery slope. This is why the Apostle Paul gave a warning uh, to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 13. In verse 14, Paul says, uh, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I've used this analogy many times throughout my ministry. Having four children, you know, every child when they're born, they have a soft spot on their head. And every time I would be holding the infant, I would rub their head and I would find that soft spot where the skull has not completely formed. And I was thinking how tenuous, how dangerous that is until that skull forms into a, a state and place of being solid where nothing could penetrate it, you know, simply. Every one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we have a soft spot in our lives. We have a, we have a place 
where we're vulnerable. And this is the place that you have to keep covered in prayer. You have to protect it. You have to guard it. You have to nurture it. Because that's the place Satan is going to work at. Um, I, I, I read things about you know militaries. What, what are they doing? Israel, as a matter of fact, they fired some missiles over purportedly into Syria. And they were dummy missiles. What were they trying to find out? Where serious air defenses were. See, they were they were they were they were meaningless as far as what they were going to do as far as explosions and tearing down buildings. That's not what they were fired for. They were fired for another reason. They were fired to find where these anti missiles were to bring theirs down. The defense systems. Then they would shoot the real missiles to take them out. Well, this is the way Satan does. You may think, I won't fall for this. I, I, I won't go down this path. And so he tricks you. He tricks you. He, that's why it's called deception. Eve said to God, the serpent beguiled me. He deceived me. See? She didn't take responsibility for her own actions. So she says, he deceived me. Well, that's been 6,000 years ago. He is still doing the same thing today. And as I said earlier, if I don't pray and I don't read my Bible and I don't seek God's face, I too will drift and waft and wane away from where I should remain, where I should stay. You know, you're only as strong as however much God is in you. If you have just a little bit of God, you're you're so tenuous. You're 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 so fragile. You have a lot of God in you. You have power to withstand because you see Satan has to get through that part of God to get to you. When David said in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. He's on my right hand. I shall not be moved. What he's saying there is the devil's got to get through God before he gets to me. But you've got to keep God in your life. You, you've got to keep your relationship intact. You've got to nurture that relationship. You know, when you love something, you, you take care of it. Uh, if, if it's a car that you have an affinity with, you, 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 you keep it serviced, you keep it clean, you don't let things break on it and drive around with them being broken, you get them repaired, you get them fixed. Why? You want to keep driving that car, especially when, once it's paid for. That's when you're really making money. It's paid for, it's mine, now I can drive, quote unquote, other than you know, maintenance and insurance, I'm driving for nothing, I'm driving free. So you protect it. You, 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 if you care about it, you'll, you'll take care of it. Well, this is what we have to do in our lives. And so I have a soul and I have a spirit. And, and of course, I'm a fleshly uh, man. I'm, I'm made of flesh and bone. And my flesh is always warring against my spirit. If, if my spirit becomes weaker than my flesh, then the flesh becomes the dominant factor in my life. And it, it, it will have dominion over me. You may not believe that. You may not think that. That was, that was the whole purpose of Romans chapter 6 and 7. Paul is talking so much about the flesh. Romans six twelve, He said, let not sin therefore reign or have predominance. Do not let sin 
therefore have predominance in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, if you let it remain there, you will obey it. You see, the sin will have the dominion, the authority, the lordship. Let not sin therefore reign. That word reign means dominion, authority, lordship, kingship. Then he says in verse 16, Romans 6, 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. We have many members in our bodies. My lips and my mouth can smoke dope, drink liquor, curse. My hands can steal. My feet can walk me to a, a place I should not be. Paul says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those, talking about your members, that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, your members are to be members or instruments of righteousness. Okay, so my, my lips and my tongue. I can use them to praise God, bless God. Psalms 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or, as I said, my mouth can say things, curse, uh, take God's name in vain, do all sorts of stuff I shouldn't do. So Paul has said, Paul says you've you, you got to yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto God. My hands can hold a microphone in one hand, a Bible in another hand, and my lips and my mouth can preach. I can preach the gospel of Christ. My feet can carry me to the podium, the pulpit, the stage, whatever the case might be. Or they can carry me to a bar. It's, 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 it's how you yield them, Paul says. And then he says in verse 14, For sin, again, shall not have dominion, authority, or lordship over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. You're under grace. If you stay in grace, I was praying one time, guys. I know exactly where I was. I was on my knees, and I had my face in the seat of a chair, and I was praying. And the word grace came into my spirit and you remove the letter G from grace and you have the word race and I felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart saying you need grace to finish the race and I thought wow just dropping the letter G off it spells race and we need grace to finish the race with joy Paul talked about finishing his race with joy and and so if you don't have that grace, well, how do I get the grace? Of course, you get the grace when you get saved. How do I keep the grace? By staying in God's presence. By staying in God's presence. I'm going to close with this last verse. Romans 6 and 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Paul is saying that in a very lawyerly way. Jesus said it very simply, Matthew six twenty four. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. That's what Paul is saying. 
to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. If you yield yourself to the enemy, you are a servant of Satan. You yield yourself to the Lord, you are a servant of God. And of course, this it's all about servitude. I know that sounds kind of simplistic, but it is. It's who are you serving? Uh, Jesus said in John eight thirty four, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. In other words, you're serving that sin. Uh, people who have addictions, they work to make dollars, and they give those dollars to whatever that addiction is. They serve it. They are a servant to that addiction. doesn't matter if it's pornography, alcohol, crack, cocaine, pot, whatever the case might be. You're, you're working physically, earning dollars to go buy that because that's what you serve. Now, I know that's, that's kind of a, a crass and harsh statement, but it's the truth. I don't say that to be ugly. I say that because I want you to see what's going on in your life. That, and, and, and see, Satan is depleting your life. He's wearing you down because he's made a slave out of you. He's made a servant out of you and it, because you're serving that sinful act, that sinful deed, or whatever, whatever it is. That's what you're really serving. You're not serving the Lord. You're serving that object. It, it even comes down to a type of idolatry. That's what happens when we get away from God. And this is why I'm, I'm going to close with this. You, you've got to stay in God's presence. David said in Psalm 16:11, "In thy presence is fullness of joy." Getting in God's presence is is a great is a great factor in, in deterring you, turning you, and keeping you. If you do that, so I hope somebody tonight will get something out of this, uh, an impetus to turn the course and say, you know what, I've got to make some decisions, and the decisions I'm making are not good. I've got to make better decisions. Eve made a decision. Adam made a decision. Jesus made a decision. When the devil tempted him, he wouldn't, he wouldn't yield. And so when you're presented with that process of making a decision, you've got to do the right thing. You say, well, it's going to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But the more times you make the right decision, the stronger you become. And the next time, it won't be as nearly as hard. And then the next time, it's not nearly as hard. Why? Because now this is a way of serving the Lord. You are a slave and a servant to the Lord now, not to objects, not to yourself, but to the Master. Romans 1 and 1, Paul said about himself, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. He said, I am a servant of Christ. I serve Christ with my life. So I hope somebody got something out of this tonight. Well, uh, I absolutely did, Pastor Langford, as well. And uh, for anybody else out there, it's uh, such a blessing to have you come on and share these uh, insightful messages that are uh, so on the money with Scripture and what we are told in the in the Bible. And uh, it just uh, it's a blessing to have you on, Pastor. Indeed, it is. You know, uh, Pastor Langford, as we've moved through the week this week with uh, our previous guest Mike Gendron, and then uh, yesterday evening with uh, John McTernan, and we see. The, uh, the news that's updating about every hour right now with the, uh, strikes between Israel and Iranian assets in Syria. You cannot make sense of what's happening in the world around us from the Met Gala two nights ago in New York City to the active combat that's happening in early morning, 
uh, Golan Heights region right now without placing it in a biblical context and then relying on that within the overall spiritual context. It, brother, it just doesn't work. Well, the very fact, John, that it's Israel and slash Jerusalem, uh, of all the cities around the world, where is it at? It's over there. And it started there. It will end there. And for anybody to discount Israel, and I know I've harped on that a lot lately, but I, I see the spirit of anti-Semitism. That's Matthew 24, 9. He said, you're going to be hated of all nations and afflicted because of my namesake. And uh, that's not speaking to the Israel that you see there now. That was the covenant with Abraham. They're just the recipients of that covenant. They're partakers of the suffering, and they're partaker of the blessing. That's a dichotomy. But that's because of a covenant that God made with a man 4,000 years ago called Abram. And so it's, we need to be praying, because we're going to get up one morning and turn on the television, and it's, it's going to be ugly. And Israel is going to attack Iran. I just don't believe they'll sit there. Yeah, it is a very tense situation, and it is something we need to keep a, a close eye on. And, um, you know, we are told that these kind of things are going to happen, and they're going to continue to happen until Jesus returns. So, uh, but, you know, as Pastor I mean, can Lincoln you imagine said, what will happen to oil, the price yeah. of a barrel of oil? We're already seeing those uh, gas prices increase up yeah. here, Pastor, about 40 cents maybe since the winter so far. We've yeah. seen it rise, so. We have to. It's 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 a it's almost three dollars a gallon for for gas, uh, and just imagine what would happen if there is a war over there. I mean, everybody's going to freak out. I would encourage people yep. to keep your cars. If you get down to half a tank, fill it up. You know, uh, absolutely. My grandma used to teach me to do that. I never listened. <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll tell you what, that's sage advice right there. Keep keep the tank full. I mean, uh, this thing goes hot the way it's shaping up right now. Uh, and again, we've been getting news feeds throughout your entire sermon this evening, Pastor Langford. We could be looking at eight, nine bucks a gallon almost overnight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, especially if there's a nuclear weapon fired. I mean, the world will literally freak out. And I tell you, Israel will do it. Because they've said they're not going to have a flying holocaust over their head. They will preempt. And, uh, that's why Psalms 122.6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're told to pray for that city. And I'm amazed, the hatred, the malice that's over Israel and Jerusalem. But yet God says, you pray for that city. We're told as Christians to pray for it. So, well, listen, God bless everyone. Thank you for allowing me to share tonight. John, good to be with you tonight. Yeah, John. Uh, it was it was fantastic. And again, a very special thanks to Doug Hagman, who will rejoin the program tomorrow evening. We've got a great show lined up. And Pastor Langford, it's always good to touch base with you, brother. Blessings to you and to Kim as well. Thank you so much. You guys have a great night now. Thank you so much. You too, Pastor. God bless. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was a fantastic show. Um, Pastor Langford really uh, delivering a strong message to take us out. And we appreciate each and every person who listens. Don't forget the Hagman Daily Show if you get a chance. I uh, actually pulled down the Mike Gendron episode yesterday, I believe, but I put it back up. It'll be up there uh, for the at 10 o'clock tonight, available on iTunes after that. Don't forget redpillexpo.org. Go there, get your tickets, promo code Hagman, and you can get the DVD set of last year's conference. Also, Mother's Day is coming up. 1-800-Flowers. Make sure you take advantage of that offer. 
We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great night.